Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Put the children to bed. It's time for Dan and Aldo to bare their souls. I love the Chicago Bears more than I do masturbating, and that is a lot. Then, with three seconds left, Bob Avellini throws a 30-something yard touchdown pass to Greg Latta, and the Bears win, and I literally shit my pants. I swear to God, I literally did. <laughs> Eric Kramer, for me, I love the guy. He's a tragic figure. I mean, he embodies all that is. If they don't run the ball here, I'm going to vomit. I swear to God. I don't mean any disrespect. He just didn't play that well. Not for a guy of his caliber. You know, they won, but I'm, I'm going to be miserable all week because they stunk. I don't, I don't really have any recollection of that at all, but I guess perhaps I blacked it all out. So, Dan, tape is the ultimate tool for scouts and for coaches to evaluate players, to detect plays and so forth. And they spend hours looking at tape, right? Why do they so often get shit wrong? Ladies and gentlemen, Dan and Aldo. From the weekend, I, Aldo Gandia, and the handsome gentleman photographed beside me had a big argument this weekend. Uh. <laughs> but I got to tell you, the makeup sex was wonderful. <laughs> Dan is such a great lover. <laughs> well, I, I, I hate arguing with you. I truly do. And a lot of times I feel like if we're, if we're really going to clear this on air, I kind of feel like in a lot of instances, it's misunderstandings, and I don't mean that just from your side. It could be from my side too. Um, I, you know, I honestly think that, and this is all I want to say about it. I, the the Manson, I need to watch her her documentary still, mm -hmm. and I'm going to. And I want to say again that I I'm not anti-female. I she's the only female of the bunch that I specifically question. And again, without elaborating any farther, it's just like. Like, for example, that music video, she was the one at the time that came up with the concept. She was bragging about the Lolita thing, and and the whole thing was her idea. And she acts like that that wasn't. She talked about how, I mean, that kind of stuff bothers me, how those those inconsistencies, and that's why I question her. But that doesn't mean that I think all women are liars or awful or anything like that. And as I told you, my mother was raped, so I take that kind of stuff seriously, even if you don't think I do. Oh, I, I know you do. And um, and if I said anything to make it seem like I don't, uh, then I apologize. Uh, I, I um, No apologies needed. I, I just wanted you to know that I'm not anti-lady. You know, it's almost like 
saying that it sounds like i'm guilty it's almost like <laughs> no if no, somebody no. says you're racist you're like bro i'm not racist it makes you sound like you're racist <laughs> you know? I, and just to let people know what we were talking about was uh, the whole marilyn manson uh evan rachel wood uh incident uh allegations and, and so forth uh, there is an hbo documentary that has resurfaced the topic for me and i shared some things with dan and i got a little frustrated with him because he um uh, disagreed with some of the things that made it seem like he was in particular taking Evan Rachel Wood's allegations and dismissing them on the surface. Now, Dan knows a lot more about the relationship between Marilyn Manson and Evan Rachel Wood than I do. But uh, in the course of the documentary and from things that I've read is that uh, Marilyn Manson is being accused of targeting young women and grooming them uh, so that they can be become his sex slaves. And that with an, uh, the addition of his drug problem and a tendency to say and, uh, uh, and, and do racist things have, have kind of soured me on an artist that I appreciate in the past. And so, uh, but my, my, my opinion on this is that I hope that this is heard in the legal courts and that some uh, justice can come, whether it's for Marilyn Manson, who is now countersuing Evan Rachel Wood, or whether it's for Evan Rachel Wood and other victims who have come forward, or alleged victims who have come forward. So that that's basically it. And I think Dan uh, and I are in a good place there. Yeah, I, I really believe if if he if it comes out that you know he did these things, it, to me it'll be similar to to the conversation you had with Bill Cosby, where you're just left like. Like, wow, I expected so much more from you. But again, to put a bow on it, my disbelief of this situation is based upon all the things she said before, mm -hmm. which to me is a cop-out now to say, oh, but I was only 19 when I said those things. Mm -hmm. Or uh, I said those things under his influence. I mean, you were an adult. If I was 19 and said some dumb things in 99, sure, I'm sure I did. But I own those statements, and I, I, I think it's an easy cop-out to suggest that you're not accountable for anything you said or did at that time. Like I said, that music video, she was so happy that they fucked on Manson's ex-wife, Dita Von Teese's bed in that video. She talked about, she came up with the concept, she's like, I'm, I'm his Lolita, the Kubrick film, as you know. Sure. And, and she wore the heart-shaped glasses, and, and now, you know, all of that was like, oh, I didn't come up with any of that. Oh, I, that's all bullshit. Like, no, it, but you said all that. And anybody but, that was around then knows that. So, Dan, my question for you is, do you think that somebody could be groomed into saying things uh, because she is a starstruck young lady and uh, therefore has kind of fallen under the seduction of somebody who she really enjoyed? They were friends before they became lovers. She really enjoyed his intelligence. She really enjoyed what he was trying to do to get people to, to think differently and accept things that were outside the boxes. Do you think that it's possible that someone who is 18 years old could be groomed into saying those things and uh, and agreeing to have a sexual uh, performing and sexual acts that she wasn't comfortable with? Because that's the premise, part of the premise of the documentary, which is what her allegations and claims are. I mean, is it plausible? Of course, it's plausible. But she also denies saying any of the things that she said before, which are on camera. Mm -hmm. Like she bragged about their bondage and now she says, well, we never had kinky sex. I never said that. No, you did. It's on. I mean, anyone can look it up. You did say those things. Mm -hmm. So the inconsistency 
is what bothers me. You you and I have talked so much about like the politics and stuff offline and uh, and in 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 the history of cover-ups and like Watergate and all these things. It's always the lie that gets you. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's always the cover-up. It's always like if you just come out and say if Reagan well Reagan com- came out of Iran Contra unscathed somehow, but for the most if it's Iran Contra Watergate or anything, if you just come out and say my bad, we fucked up. America will forgive you. Mm-hmm. And I think the lie is what's bothering me with her, the inconsistencies. But in the end, she deserves to – I'm not against that documentary airing or her telling her side of the story. Uh, it, likewise, I want him to get the same due process. And it's not just because of Manson. Like, I feel the same way about Deshaun Watson, you know, in the sense that it looks bad. All those allegations against Manson looks bad. The, all these allegations against Watson looks bad. But I don't think he should have had to have sat out the whole season and wasting his talent. Likewise, if we can segue, that makes that trade so scary to me as a Browns fan because you're trading for a guy, you're giving up literally four or five years of your franchise if he misses for a guy that missed an entire year mm-hmm. and took a pretty big beating when he was in playing a lot in Houston anyway, mm-hmm. and now he hasn't played in two years. It seems like such a risky move to me. It is a risky move and a somewhat cynical uh, attempt by the Cleveland Browns to help Deshaun Watson out. I think it's to help Deshaun Watson out as much as it is to to help their salary cap situation. But he's going to make $1 million in 2022, and he certainly faces some kind of suspension, whether it's for one game or multiple games by the NFL uh, and so it seems like it's like, yeah, well, we're going to help you out. Uh, Cleveland organization said to Deshaun Watson, we'll pay you $1 million. So if you face a, a one game sus- suspension, it's only $50,000. You'll be out, you know, and the rest of the 200 and whatever million dollars is totally guaranteed. So you're going to do all right. It does. That f- does, uh, you know, cynical part of me f- does feel like, wow, you know, that, that just doesn't seem right. It, it, it almost, uh, negates whatever disciplinary action the NFL uh, might take. Uh, but who knows? He might, you know, he, he might end up losing the majority of those millions of dollars based on these 22 civil uh, suits that he's facing. And uh, whatever it is, again, just like with the Manson, uh, Evan Rachel Wood thing, I hope that the truth comes out and anyone that might be guilty of lying or, or doing anything duplicitous, anything against the law, I hope that uh, they face justice. That That's if what I, it is. If I was their attorney, and obviously I'm not qualified to be anyone's attorney, mm-hmm. but in a hypothetical scenario, whether I was representing Deshaun or Manson or even Evan Rachel Wood, because, you know, there's lawsuits on both sides there. Mm-hmm. I would try to Kobe this shit as quickly as I could, <laughs> make it go away. Let's, we, we don't have to disclose what happens. Like, I, I don't want that to happen. But in no. reality, if I were the attorney, I would say, let's come up with a number to make this shit go away. Mm-hmm. No one discloses. No one talks about it. You sign nine disclosure agreements and let's move on with our lives, especially for Watson. Uh, again, does it make it right? No. But if I was his attorney, I would be like, look, you're getting all this money guaranteed. I don't care how much you got to pay these women. Get this over with and let's get on with our lives here and try to win games. I know that sucks in a moral sense, but if I was their attorney, that's what the goal I would be trying to achieve. But for the Browns, like three first round picks and then what was it? A third and a second. And it's quite a lot. Yes. And, and <laughs> look, you and I talked about the Browns a lot when we were there last year. Uh, 
I'm not this big uh, Baker Mayfield advocate, but still, they hadn't won a playoff game since Vinny Testaverde won for them in 1994. And Baker won him a game and could have beaten Kansas City. So he could have gotten him to the AFC Championship game. And he's the guy you drafted. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard for me just to be like, well, sweep this guy under the rug if I'm a Browns fan. And we can very easily be Browns fans because their situation is similar to ours in some ways. Yeah. You know, when it comes to like just a lot of mismanagement, a lot of losing, although at least we have a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. You know, Cleveland's never even been there and had terrible luck along the way when they could have gotten there. But I just, it seems like a really um, hasty move. Like a desperate move. I think it is somewhat desperate because they feel they've got the squad right now to win a Super Bowl and that the only thing they're missing is a a very uh, effective quarterback. And and what they have started to leak out to the media is that Baker Mayfield was very difficult to work with. He was uh, always questioning things to the point where it became a nuisance. You always want players, especially the leaders on the team, to question uh, decisions, uh, particularly if it affects you, the player. Uh, and the quarterback uh, should be challenging his coaches and, and so forth. But the amount of disruption that he was creating, I mean, a perfect uh, example is the Odell Beckham issue. You know, uh, and now Odell was kind of the the vocal aggressor by publicly. Uh, his father was the one that publicly uh, let out some information saying that hey, the guy is hoping and Baker won't uh, won't throw him the ball. So there was something going on there, and it clearly upset the Browns management. So they they see a small window for a Super Bowl based on the fact that they've got these outstanding star players on defense and they've got some weapons on offense. So I think it was... Well, let a- me ask you a question. You put on your GM hat. Aldo Gandia for one hour is the Cleveland Browns general manager. Okay. I got two trades for you. Mm-hmm. I got this one for Deshaun Watson mm-hmm. and everything that goes along with it. We already know the trade. That exact trade Mm-hmm. or you can give up a third-round pick and get Matt Ryan. Which one are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing Matt Ryan because eventually— Isn't that true, though? Yes. I, I, I agree with you, but go ahead. Because I want to draft a good quarterback that I can build around. And that what happens with Deshaun Watson is that his salary is going to get to the point where you, you're going to be hamstrung and not be able to sign some of your own stars. You know, and and so I, I think the best way to build a football team is to bring in a young uh, quarterback. If maybe he's ready to go year one, if not, hopefully he's ready to go in year two. And that way you've got some salary flexibility to add some players. And that's really what Matt Ryan allows them to do because a lot of that money of his salary stays with the Falcons. The Falcons now have the biggest dead cap money uh, uh, in, in almost history, in NFL history. And uh, the the uh, Browns... They uh, have just the right man to solve it, too. Ryan Pace. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> the point. <laughs> So, uh, you know, that's that's my preference. Now, it, it would be very, very difficult to say no to Deshaun Woods, but man, what you're giving up, the three first rounders, the other uh, draft picks involved, the amount of money you, you're going to pay him, you really don't, you know, you have some character concerns. And some people in the chat room are saying that he hasn't been 
uh, convicted of anything. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with absolutely. that. Absolutely. He hasn't even been indicted. They, they went to the grand jury and there wasn't, according to the grand jury, sufficient enough evidence to indict him. So that, that's, that's why I think he should have been able to play last year. That was my point. It was kind of bullshit that Houston just made him sit down. But be that as it may, it's a risk. You, we, we saw what a year off did Eddie Goldman. Mm -hmm. For example, two different positions, I get it. But still, a year off, now he hasn't even played in two years. Mm -hmm. That's a huge concern for me if I'm Brown's management. I would take the Matt Ryan deal, even though Matt Ryan is old and has been in the league since away. I tell you what, my proclamation is this. The Bears are better off with Justin Fields than both of those teams, in absolutely, my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he's uh, Justin still has a lot to prove. There's no doubt about that. But I, I, I still love the talent, the raw talent, and uh, hopefully this – off season, he's. We saw some photographic evidence of how he's working on his delivery. You know, most Bears fans know he's got that kind of loopy delivery where he brings the ball down low and then fires. And uh, there was a videotape released of him uh, working out with uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick and, and a bunch of other quarterbacks. And the, the release is not anywhere near what it was. It's much more higher up. So that means a quicker release. It'll mean fewer sacks. It'll mean more accuracy. And so that's a good thing. He's got to work on making quicker decisions as well. And that should come because he really is a smart guy. He really does his homework. And so I'm, I'm really high on what Justin Fields is going to provide. And I think the Bears are taking the right approach and uh, uh, smashing everything apart. But what I am concerned about is basically the main topic of discussion tonight uh, with the Chicago Bears is, are, is Ryan Pose hibernating a little too much and not signing some players that could help immediately uh, to field a good team in 2022? I'm, I'm almost thinking that he's taken the Theo Epstein route, which is the, those two or three seasons that the Cubs played the absolute worst baseball in Major League Baseball. It earned them first overall picks in the draft but boy it was just so painful to see for those two or three seasons if you were a Cubs fan I don't think this rebuild will will is necessary for a two or three year wait but it does feel like wow we're bypassing some really good players like but the for, difference is in my opinion is that we do have fields so yeah. I think if fields improves he can negate a lot of those things that those Cubs teams couldn't because mm -hmm. they didn't have a superstar in the waiting at that time. And and, and maybe Pauls is betting on our quarterback. Mm -hmm. I don't know that that's true, but I hope it is. And I will confess right off the top. I got, I made some dude mad on Twitter and he, he just kept coming at me. And eventually I was like, dude, just block me. But <laughs> um, yeah. if you don't like what I say, then fuck you, man, just <laughs> leave me alone. I'm not, I didn't call you out, but I was like, so just, disenchanted when I saw the Larry Ogunjobi thing, you know, it's just like your first acquisition and it falls through. I know that could happen to anybody, right? Mm -hmm. But it always happens to us. Mm -hmm. And I've defended this team on this show. I've defended, you know, uh, the McGinnis thing in 99 saying, well, fuck him. He should have wanted to be here. Mm -hmm. But these kind of things always happen to the bears. And maybe I'm feeling sorry for myself. I can't recall a situation with another team like that where they sign a dude like, oh, give him a shit ton of money. And then they're like, oh, well, you know what? He failed his physical. Sorry. 
Yeah, you know, and uh, I had a long talk with Greg Gabriel about it, both off the air and on his show. And and Greg was was really adamant that you know we have to, as fans, understand that that's part of the process. You complete the deal first, and then the player comes in for a physical. So the feeling, you know, the agent is 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 I'm sure telling uh, polls, yeah, he's fine, he's fine. You know, he'll be ready to go when the season starts. And so they agree on the deal pending the physical then ogan joby comes in has the physical and the doctors say yeah there's a problem here and who knows what it could be it could be he won't be ready in 2022 or it could mean he probably will be ready sometime during the middle of the season and then polls is probably thinking well i don't want to wait that long you know it could be anything those things or, or something else and so uh, it is part of the process, and other teams have had to go through that too. It's not the Chicago Bears, but I certainly understand your frustration. First of all, with that Twitter guy, I mean, you know, why can't people just uh, disagree respectfully? You know, uh, you made a comment uh, expressing your frustration. It's like, yeah, the Bears, who we are, because I've been so optimistic to this point. Yeah, you have. And I'm like, here we are. We are a fucking clown show, like mm -hmm. everybody says we are. Mm -hmm. We can't even sign free agents. You know, I did feel just so down about it. Uh, well, he and everything used, he you just used said, the term to, clown show. And so I think that that's what set people off. Yeah, that's what made the guy mad. But uh, on the flip side of that, it's just like, like you can't measure. Like, you know, we could all measure each other's dicks if we needed to. <laughs> but we can't measure your fandom. Mm-hmm. And that's what these the guys like this always go to. Well, you're not as big a fan as I am. Like, well, fuck you. You can't measure that. It's not quantifiable. Who's a bigger fan? We're all fans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't even know me. So how can you, somebody, uh, you know, in cyberspace, it's not even a real place, mm -hmm. tell me that I'm not a real fan. Man, fuck you. Mm -hmm. So that's why I was like, just, just block me, you know? Yeah. Um, but after hearing your, what you said with Greg Gabriel it made me feel better about it. And what was going through my head at that minute was the Pernell McPhee signing where it felt like maybe we signed him and probably should have failed his physical Yeah, because the whole time he was here, he had a, like an arthritic knee and could barely walk. Yeah. And I, and I hate to say, I told you so, but I, during that period, I wasn't against the signing, but I was like, they should limit this guy's snaps. He he has had constant knee problems with the Ravens. Why are we playing him almost every defensive snap? He can be more effective and play for a longer period of time if we bring him bring him in on obvious passing situations. But they had him out there so much it was clear that that knee was going to start acting up. We got a question here from Cliff Victoria. Although, do you think Poles feels he can get more talent for less? towards the end of free agency. He absolutely does think he's, he's waiting very, very patiently. God bless the guy. He's got the patience that I'll never have. But my problem is, is that the, the, the talent now is whittled down. So you're making all of these really good signings. I mean, uh, meaning from a, from a cost perspective, but are these guys any good? I mean, these are a lot of these guys have never been starters. Brian Pringle, probably the closest, uh, uh, the offensive lineman. Uh, certainly, he played. He started 11, 12 games. But this next wave of of free agent signings, these aren't stars. These aren't you know really top talented second stringers. When we let Juju Smith Schuster 
sign elsewhere, and I'm, I'm looking up what he uh, he signed Kansas for. Kansas City. Uh, yeah, to Kansas City, one-year contract, $3.25 million contract, two and a half of that guarantee. I say to myself, why, why not him? Why not, why not Julio why, Jones? Yeah. I mean, for one year while you're doing a bridge uh, and, and you're going to draft a young wide receiver, you know, working with Julio Jones or Juju Smith-Schuster, that could be really beneficial for the guy, you know, to have a veteran who has accomplished some things. And that could help Mooney too. Exactly. Absolutely. So I, I, I'm I'm just at a point now where I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm frustrated, but I'm also, uh, it, it is clear that this is a a a rebuild se- season from the get go. Like everything is 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 going, you know, going to be. It's going to be a really bad twenty twenty. I got into an argument. I, I don't think so. I really? I don't, man. I know it's. You look at it. The schedule could change. You never know who's going to be good. But it's not as daunting on paper as last season was. Mm-hmm. And our division, man, our division. It, you know, I'm not saying it's totally weak because. I'm just saying, if you told me that any of the teams in the division won, mm-hmm. like suddenly Minnesota had a great year with their new coach, or maybe Detroit turned it around, maybe that's the least likely. But still, if you, t- I could buy in like any scenario of any of the four teams winning the division. That's your ticket to the playoffs. And I think uh, you're, I, I just, I believe Fields is going to get better. Like, oh, I, why, I, why so not too. at least, uh, you know, have a good run and, and potentially make the playoffs? I think we can. Yeah, I, I I'm with you. You know, my problem is is like, and and I say it every episode at the top of the show. We won, but I'm miserable because we stunk, and so that's what I don't want for this right. Ryan Poles era. You know, I want a team that wins 14, 15 uh, games, and when they go into the playoffs, and we all have high expectations. The last time this happened was in 2018. I surely thought that we were going to get past the Eagles, and after that game, it was a, a an easy ticket, easy maybe too big of a word there, but we had a ticket to the Super Bowl, man. That was the year. That's why I fucking literally cried when that fucking kicker missed that because I knew, man, this might not happen again for a while. There's no yeah. guarantee that Nagy is the is the right coach. We saw as that season went on, more and more blemishes in his play calling and so forth, and it wasn't like Trubisky was, this is a bona fide franchise player. We all had hope. You know, most of us had hope, but man, it, it was very, very fucking painful. And I don't, you know, I, I don't want to go through that again. Yeah. The one thing that I, I let me go and put the guy over first. Uh, Shane Marsaw got the, the Cody Parkey signing. He called that out immediately and said, oh, fuck, this guy sucks. This is a bad signing. Yep. But the one thing that I said, and I hate being right on it, it you, you had all that great coverage. The weekend going into the game, man, like Tom Waddle was on the air with us, and I wasn't on the air with you all, but I was listening. And obviously, I'm part of the bar room too, and I'm listening, so I say us. Uh, but it was just a great amount of Bears coverage that weekend. And I remember asking Shane specifically, like, doesn't it frighten you that, like, 2001, you know, we're 13 and three, and, you know, you lose to Philly, and then the next season, you're four and 12. Mm hmm. You don't even make the playoffs. He's like, oh, that won't happen this year. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, this team is too good on defense. So even if they lose to Philly, uh, there's no way they just go away next year. And what the fuck happened? Mm-hmm. So that's the one I was right on. But not to say he was wrong. Mm-hmm. 
uh, but I didn't have that amount of like, oh, this team's bulletproof yeah. kind of uh, approach to it because of the defense. But to his credit, no one could have seen Akeem Hex getting hurt and, and Mac's play going so down so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I mean, I, I, I don't want to get into the Mac talk right now, maybe later in the show or in a future episode because I got some more thoughts I want I want to share on that. But, you know, again, uh, getting back to this main topic of whether polls is over hibernating during this free agency period, you know, uh, th- th- today we heard the, the signing the, by the Miami Dolphins of uh, Teron Armstead, the, the brilliant left tackle who is now going to be protecting Toa Tagovailoa. And so, yeah, I know he's 30 years old. I know the money is like unbelievable, but it's a left tackle, a plug. And I know that he's got a injury history. So, but well, ironically, with them, they need a good right tackle because two is left handed. That is true. Um, but I, I gotta ask this question to everyone in the chat room and to you, Dan. And when John joins us, if he wants to share an opinion, should that have been the one exception during this free agency period? Like, they may really made an exception for Ogan Joby. They said they were going to wait for the uh, second wave. Well, they blew that out of the water immediately. They signed Ogan Joby, you know, very, very early in the process. And should they not have done something like that for the sake of Justin Fields? Um, should we not have said, you know, this guy, if he stays healthy, he's got five, six years of premium offensive line, pass blocking and run blocking uh, a, a prowess ahead of him. Let's make that huge investment. Now is the time to do it while our quarterback is under his rookie contract. I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying that that had to be, I, I hope at least that people were pounding their tables and there was one side pro sign him and one side pro. No, let's stick with the plan. I, I just hate that. There hasn't even, there was one little rumor out there that the bears were interested in Armstead, but it, he didn't even come to Chicago as far as any reports. Aaron, the bearded bears fan says Armstead is a 31 year old guy who has never played a full season. Maybe they see more from, uh, from Jenkins than we think. And that's a fair point, Aaron, uh, definitely a fair point. What do you think, Dan? Do you think that the, perhaps the Chicago bears should have just said, you know, yes, it's a little risky because of his age and injury history, but this is the absolute best left tackle on that we will have access to for the next few years. So, so let's bring him in and see if we can cut a deal. That's tough. But like, like you is. said, maybe our, our draft pick Jenkins is impressive to them. Maybe Larry Borum is impressive to them. I, I don't know, but like you, I would think at the very least, if you could sign a guy and your and your worst problem is he has to be the backup, mm-hmm. despite his money. Then you got a good problem. Right. You don't want to go into like last season when you had all this. Well, we've got our left tackle. We drafted him. Oh, but he can't play. Mm-hmm. And and then you have to sign a guy that's almost forty, who played well, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, and Peters, but you, you don't. Yeah, I would like for them to have a plan and a contingency plan off of that mm-hmm. going into the offseason. And it never felt like Pace did that in the entire seven years when it came to the offensive line. But our guy now, we gotta, you gotta have some faith. His, his expertise obviously is offensive line. Mm-hmm. That's right, he, 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 and uh, he should know good talent. And you know, we should have faith that he's gonna build 
a great offensive line. Uh, but boy, it's it's kind of frustrating to see what the state of the offensive line is right now. There's the acquisition. And we lost bars too. And we lost Alex Bars, who I think most of us will will agree was a more than serviceable backup who could play multiple positions while he, with the Bears. He played left tackle. He played uh, right guard. He played right tackle. I'm not sure if he played left guard or center. He started a game at center too. Yeah, there you go. That's right. It wasn't a great performance, but you know, during an emergency, you need somebody out there. So, um, you know, it, it, it seems to me that uh, here's another guy, Lakin Tomlinson. And if Don Bear is in the uh, chat room, he'll probably say Lakin Tomlinson sucks. Well, he did when he was a Detroit Lion, but he goes over to the San Francisco 49ers and he is outstanding at zone blocking, which is the scheme offensive linemen are going to be running uh, with with uh, uh, the the new Bears. It's this outside zone blocking, and he is just graded among the absolute best guards at zone blocking. His pass blocking is not exemplary. It's serviceable, but his run blocking is. So why not go after Lakin Tomlinson, particularly since in 2022, this should be a run first team, at least for the first half of the we season. We signed a fullback, so it seems like that that's the that's the idea, right? Yeah, absolutely. And this guy can play, man. He's a, he can block. Uh, he's not like a, who was the guy that Phil was always making fun of? Uh Michael Burton. <laughs> Michael Burton. And isn't he's like in Kansas City somewhere, like yeah. doing obviously doing well enough to stay in the league? Like, yeah. I, I like Phil looked at Mike. Michael Burton looked okay when he was in Detroit, ironically, <laughs> but with the Bears was terrible. Hey, real quick, since Don's in the chat room, can you ask him? I, I don't know. If he I, is. I know all Lions fans aren't, you know, don't have the same opinion. Like we all don't have the same opinion, but was the consensus that they were happy for Stafford winning? Or were they rooting against Stafford? He, like, I really don't know the answer. To I that. think he said either on our show or, or another barroom show that the most Lions fans were very happy for Stafford. Uh, but yeah, that's got to be a real painful pill to swallow. We could see that with Trubisky in Pittsburgh, man, like Mike North says. Yeah. Well, you know, there was a rumor today, not a rumor, it was fact that the Steelers brass took out uh, Malik. What's the quarterback's name? Uh, he had his pro day today. They took him out to dinner. So it appears that perhaps the Steelers might be interested in drafting a quarterback in the first or second round. And if that's the case, Trubisky may not even be a starter in, you know, uh, this season or maybe next season. We'll see how long his career with Pittsburgh. They is. still have Haskins too. I mean, they have Haskins, first round pick, and Mason Rudolph. Another first round pick. Am I right or wrong on that? He was a high pick in any case. So they're creating some competition uh, there. If if they draft this quarterback, uh, it's going to be an interesting to follow what uh, happens with Trubisky in, in Pittsburgh. Um, here's another player. So outside the offensive line, which is I think where most of the money should go to, I think that 2022 should be about improving the offense and giving Justin Fields everything that he needs to succeed. Uh, and to stay healthy. And to stay healthy. So you need to invest money in the offensive line and you need to invest money at in wide receivers. So a few players that I was disappointed that the bears did not uh, sign Russell Gage from uh, Atlanta Falcons. He had uh, an, an injury filled uh, first half of the season with the Falcons. And then he was among the best receivers in the second half of the season with Atlanta. And then he signs a three year, $30 million 
30 million dollar contract with only 20 million guaranteed i thought that was a guy that that those those figures to me say sign me sign me jakeem grant who you love i love i think he's with the browns right he's with the browns now signed a three-year 13 million dollar contract only three million dollars guaranteed I mean, yeah, that could be our returner. I don't know why we didn't bring him back. Yeah, a returner, and he's he's a big playmaker when he gets into the game, whether in the backfield or in the slot position. I, I don't understand why he he was allowed to leave. Juju Smith Schuster, I said earlier, one year, three point two five, only two and a half guaranteed. Uh, so there, there's those wide receivers were guys on my list that I really really wanted to uh, see. Uh, the Bears acquire. PJ says, I will maintain that the Bears should have retained James Daniels. And that's another guy um, who it could come back to bite us in the, in the butt where Dan, Dan is famous for saying, how come every Bears player that we let go ends up playing better elsewhere? That's James true. Daniels could be that guy. So, I mean, at 20, are we going to have a James Daniels revenge game? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> If I feed us, can you imagine that the running back just running behind him for 200 Mitch, Mitch running behind him. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Oh, the pain. Oh, I feel like uh, Fred Sanford, uh, the big one is coming. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, and then Sanford and the, Son got weird when Lamont left the show and they had the white dude with the beard join the cast. Who was Ran, that? Random dude? thought. You remember that big white guy that had the big beard? I don't remember him. Yeah, toward the end, Lamont was gone, and like yeah, Fred just that. hung out with the white guy with the beard. That is weird. There was this yeah, it wasn't Sanford and Son anymore. It was Sanford and the white guy with the beard. Yeah, and you know your retro stuff because you were you uh, watching TV when Sanford and Son was on? Uh the reruns. Okay. Like the, when I was a kid, you know, we only had like ten or twelve channels when I was young, and like TBS used to show the shit out of mm-hmm. those, and uh, BET too. Yeah. Jeremy says Pringle is an upgrade over Grant. Easy decision. Yes, he is. And I'm not arguing that. Is he a returner? He's not. See, that's oh, I, I, I wasn't being facetious. I, I don't know the answer to that. See, yeah. I mean, why not both of them? Uh, I, I love that signing. Of the Pringle signing, I'm all for. This guy He is, seemed to be very enthusiastic. Yeah. He was very happy. He said that Chicago called him. He was he says, I know this offense. Mm-hmm. So I like that you know he's saying those things, mm-hmm. and I don't really mind the St. Brown signing because I look at it and think he didn't get any money particularly. Less it's than a, a million. Yeah, it's a bet on himself kind of deal, and obviously the, our offensive coordinator must see something in him because if he didn't, he would have said, don't sign this fucking bum. Mm-hmm. So maybe he knows that he wasn't getting a, the opportunities. Don in Detroit, again, uh, the, their guy, the, the brother, St. Brown's brother, does well with the Lions. He does very well. So he, he looks like he could be a star in the next year or two. So maybe maybe our St. Brown can be something. I always want to call him Ignoramus, though. <laughs> <laughs> Equanimous. <laughs> I'm just going to call him St. Brown. I think that's a good call. Um, uh, Johnny Santucci says Pringle had over 600 yards returning kicks. So uh, correction uh, uh, given. Uh, so Pringle does return kicks. I would hate to use him in that capacity since it appears he will be the number two wide receiver along with Darnell Mooney. I would rather have, you know, somebody who is third or fourth on your depth chart at wide receiver returning kicks uh, because of the possibility of injury. But no, it, that's fine if he's going to be the return guy. But I, I got a feeling the Bears are going to draft somebody or Khalil Herbert showed some promise 
returning kicks. So it's not the end of the world that Grant is gone, but I just uh, I fell in love with him the few games that he was here. His only problem was he he traditionally had a fumble problem, uh, and he did fumble once uh, 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 as a bear, but it wasn't a, a terrible uh, a terrible one. Um, Nicholas says that the Bears hosted Trevor Simeon today. Perhaps Foles is getting traded for a late rounder. And uh, Dan, you talked about that before we went live. What are your What's your feeling on that? I thought, you know, we've had Sylvester on a few times. I've told him, I thought, you know, Trevor Simeon was a guy I probably wouldn't have uh, just thrown away if I were the Broncos. Mm-hmm. You know, the, yeah, he did okay when he played, considering he was a seventh round pick. I thought he played well for them. And I thought Osweiler had up, uh, upside for them too. But anyway, Simeon did okay when when he was asked to play in Denver. I didn't follow him along the way. I know he's met the Saints and the Vikings. And mm-hmm. I don't know what else he's done, but I did see him in Denver when he was starting. And he's okay. Mm-hmm. And we're not, I mean, if you were telling me he was coming here to start, mm-hmm. then I would have reservations. Uh, just the way that I still can't believe Atlanta was like, Mariota, you're our guy. Come on down. Like, <laughs> really? But uh, that is weird. <laughs> yeah, like they signed him as soon as they traded Matt Ryan. It's like, God mm-hmm. damn. Like, really? This guy hasn't played in like three seasons now. But okay. Uh, back to your the the point is, um, Simeon could be a good backup. I think. Although I'm not opposed to keeping Foles because I mean, who's that's his thing, man. He's like your best insurance plan possible. But like you've pointed out, maybe. He's so far away from the type of offense that you want to build around fields mm-hmm. with his strengths right. that maybe that's why you would deal him. But other than that, I mean, he's got to be somebody that can help fields in the locker room and such. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, one other thing about Trevor Simeon, when he came out in 2015, I really – uh, wanted the Bears to take a chance at him in the mid to late rounds because Pace, if you remember his introductory press conference. Yeah, he was so, going to draft a quarterback every year. And exactly, didn't. exactly. And so he, he played fairly well. I mean, you know, he played better than fairly well. He played well at Northwestern, and he seemed to be kind of a West Coast offense kind of guy. And I never imagined that he would be a, a long-term starter, but you'd need to uh, target guys who can come in and be your backup guy and groom them. And, and who knows, maybe they turn into something bigger and better than you anticipate it. So I had him. Uh, and he's got starting, uh, at least he started some games. Yeah. So he's got some experience in the event that he would have to play here. Yeah. So, um, but be that as it may. Hey, Don Burr is here in the chat. Let's see. I just saw him put something up there. Um, let's see. What's he say? Although, and Dan, you can learn something besides talk, taking ridiculous. They t- taking ridiculous. They telling you, LOL. Now it's maybe. I don't know what the fuck you're saying, Don. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, what? <laughs> I think he's talking to somebody else uh, and they're, they're discussing something. So that's, but uh, the question for Don was what bef- again? Oh, about Stafford. Uh, Don yeah. Burr- yeah. What he thought was he rooting for his staff in the Super Bowl or uh, against him? Yeah. We need a quote from you, Don. So uh, let us know how you and the entire uh, Lions community felt about uh, Stafford's success. Uh, uh, prior. And to I'm not anti Detroit. Let me tell Don that again, I loved their fullback used to throw Erlacher on his ass, mm-hmm. man. That Corey Schlesinger. Yeah. 
yeah. from Nebraska, and yeah. I loved Herman Moore, and I loved Eric Kramer. So, yeah. and obviously Kramer came to us, mm-hmm. but I'm not anti-Detroit Lion at all. I'm not trying to throw any jabs at him at all. Yeah, I mean, come on, you know, uh, Barry Sanders. Uh, who was the other running back? Uh, Sims. Billy Sims. Billy Sims. I mean, those guys are s- super players. And besides uh, Calvin Johnson, you mentioned Herman Moore. I mean, they had they had players that were fun to watch. And um, and then I'll never forget the the game, the Lions Bear game that I saw. Where um, now I'm forgetting his name. The wide receiver passed away on the football field against oh, the yeah, Chicago Bears. Oh yeah, in front of Butkus. I've seen that that photo. Yeah. Uh, Never ever will I forget that as a kid. I and I thought uh, Dick Butkus actually killed him because. Were you watching? Yes, I was watching, and I was really worried um, about his health because um, you could sense the, that the entire stadium was just—it was a really scary silence. And the announcers—I don't recall who was announcing. I, I want to say it was Ray Scott, uh, one of my favorite announcers. They, they kind of let that silence sink in. And then the game was over around 3.30 Chicago time. And then when I turned on the 6 p.m. news, they announced that he had passed away. I was like, holy cow. I wonder if Dick Butkus is going to get in trouble because it was a two or three plays beforehand where Butkus uh, tackled, what's his name, Jones? Um, and, and I wrote a story about this for the website. But in any case, I thought that he had tackled, but now – hindsight being 2020 he really didn't and it was just it looked like he did um and it was somebody else that hit him and so forth but the long part of the story is is that this guy had was suffering from heart problems and had complained to detroit training staff that he was having chest pains and they kind of just did a superficial check yeah you're fine you know play through it and, and that kind of stuff and uh, apparently it was a very serious heart condition that he had, and he was playing a lot in that game. And it, it was just a, a terrible, terrible death on the football field. One yeah, that I'll Definitely not the same thing, but uh, was it Reggie Lewis that died on the court? Didn't he die on the court for the Celtics? Oh, yeah. In like 91-2-ish? Was it Reggie Lewis? Uh, and uh, the Hank, was his name Hank Gathers? Hank Gathers did the... Uh, uh, what West Coast college basketball team did he play for? Um, I it seems to... like Westhead was his coach, wasn't he? Yes, yes, he played. Yeah, since we were talking about winning time last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Hank Gathers, I remember that clearly. Uh, Reggie Lewis, did he die? Died uh, July 27th, 1993, so it couldn't have been on the court. Okay. Unless it was a – did Reggie Lewis die on the court? Uh, during oh, that's a off-season... false memory of mine then. Sorry. Oh, no, no, here. Uh, uh, on July 27, 1993, during off-season practice at Brandeis University in Massachusetts, Lewis suffered sudden cardiac death on the basketball court at the age of 27. So, uh, so it was a practice then, yeah. or training camp, or whatever they call their training camp. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Len Bias died, but what wasn't the Len Bias death a? His uh, was cocaine related, yeah, allegedly. Right. Yeah, this kid was was going to be a a superstar. They loved the way this guy played. He was going to the Celtics, and apparently he started partying too much with some friends and kind of celebration. And uh, we never got to see his great talent on the court. Can Can I ask you one before we get back to football? Sure. I want to ask you one foot or one NBA question that I honestly this is not. I'm not setting up a bit. I don't know the answer to this. I've never figured this out. Again, it's relevant to winning time. Mm -hmm. So 
the Lakers, you know, were like, who are we going to draft? We're going to draft. How did Boston already have Larry Bird in their back pocket? Can yeah. anyone please tell me how the fuck that happened? Yeah, as I remember it, the NBA had a rule that you could draft a player, and if they did not come out to the NBA, you still held his draft rights the, the, the following season. So let's say if they still had that rule now, you draft, uh, you know, uh, the Bulls draft uh, a player and uh, he says, you know, I'm going to stay in college another year. Fine. The Bulls would then have his draft rights the, the next year and could rescind those draft rights and pick somebody else or uh, maintain the rights of, of the previous uh, pick. So that's how it was with the Celtics. They, they drafted him the year before. And Larry said, I'm going to stay at Indiana State for another season. Ah, yeah. Okay, I, I didn't know that. Uh, but when you said that, it made me think of Tampa Bay drafting Bo, mm -hmm. and then you know he's like, "Fuck it, I'm not playing for you." And then ended up going to the Raiders the next year in the supplemental. Yeah, and and I don't think that the Bears, or excuse me, the NFL ever had that same rule as the NBA. So if you drafted somebody and they chose not to come out, I think that rule has always been with the NFL that those rights then go back into the pool of eligible players to be drafted. Uh, and the NBA did away with their rules, so there you go. Uh, Tooch right, Scottie Pippen Jr. with a clutch three-pointer at the halftime buzzer to cover the first half spread. Yes, look at Tooch, man, in the background. He's got confetti going on. He's got his, his little horn, his New Year's horn. He's so happy. <laughs> uh, so you've been watching a lot of NBA basketball over the weekend, huh? Yeah, like where we've been talking about the NBA so much recently. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm the if Don's in the chat room still, I've been defending Isaiah you know, to you. Mm -hmm. So I, I just got inspired to go back and watch a lot of these games. I watched, um, the 88 finals game six where Isaiah hurt his ankle. Mm -hmm. I watched game seven. I watched, uh, the 89 Eastern conference finals where the Pistons put the bulls out in game six. And then I watched all four of the games against the Lakers in the finals. So next week, when I have more time, I'm going to watch game seven of 90 when they put Chicago out in Detroit, and uh, I'm going to watch the Blazers series again. So all this Isaiah talk got me to – I mean, so many cool things I had forgotten about. Like, it told you Adrian Dantley had that interview at in, in, in half where he's just like, fuck this, I should be there. Mm -hmm. This trade was bullshit. You know, he's not cussing, but yeah. – And I told you, Brent was like, man, you're obviously bitter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he didn't get mad. And then uh, Dick Stockton called him bitter. And it's just like you would never see an interview like that today. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar – I was endorsing Ellie gear. Like, I don't remember that at all. So mm -hmm. it was very fun to go back and see these old ads and, and things. So mm -hmm. a deep dive this past weekend for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and I got to tell you that you sharing tweets. I mean, Dan was almost like doing play by play with some of the games. <laughs> it was cool uh, to read what, uh, what he was seeing but it just reminded me of uh, how great of a player Isaiah Thomas was. And, you know, basketball to me is the one sport more than any of the other sports that picking a top 10 list of the greatest players in NBA history is harder to do. It's like I can think of 70, 80 guys who should be in the top 10 list. <laughs> hey, yeah, because I never got to see Bill Russell. Yeah. And, and he, I never got to see Wilt Chamberlain. And yeah, and those two guys definitely 
deserve to be. I mean, Bill Russell, I mean, he basically invented the block shot and perfected it. He never blocked a ball out of bounds. He always blocked it down court so the Celtics would get a fast break uh, two-pointer on it. And so he was basically a, a four-point guy. And I, I've read a lot of about Bill Russell and saw some of his games live when they were broadcast on ABC Saturday uh, afternoon games on NBA on ABC uh, and he was a player coach for the last two or three championships. Tremendous guy. And then Will Chamberlain, a seven-footer who had uh, guard-like speed and movement. I mean, this guy was tremendous. And, you know, of course, everybody knows he scored 100 points and stuff. You could easily put 70 guys into that top 10 list. Um, but And Isaiah deserves, definitely, definitely deserves consideration as one of the top 10 players of all time. And, and Michael Jordan himself said it, that after Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas is the greatest point guard of all time. And I, I agree with that, man. I would love to see some young Kareem with the bucks mm-hmm. like i saw kareem old mm-hmm. and and you know i mean at the time like i didn't even get to see i think he was like finals mvp in like 85 mm-hmm. even that was too early for me like the first finals i remember watching which is why i indelibly have isaiah in my my head as being a great player is because the 88 series is the first one that i watched mm-hmm. i've gone back and watched others prior to that now but uh, that was the first one I watched live. So when he hurt his ankle and you know scored all those points on his ankle in Game Six, it was just like, wow! Like what a fucking like this guy's got heart, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I would love to see Kareem Young, yeah, and like the young young Jordan. Like I was, I saw the majority, like probably eighty five percent of Jordan's career from almost start to finish. But I would like to see the start, mm-hmm. like you said, the old games that you had. I would love to see what Jordan was doing in like 85, well, you know, I know the one year in 86, he broke it was his broke his leg uh, foot foot. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you, he missed almost that whole season, but in theory, like his first year and his third year, that would be some good shit. Mm-hmm. As I came in probably year four mm-hmm. for him when I started watching them. And I still say, as we were talking uh, briefly in text about it, that, uh, I, a lot of people disagree with me on this. I, I honestly think that they would have been better off with Oakley than Cartwright because Cartwright had no fucking offensive game whatsoever. He had the ugliest free throw I've ever seen, like next to Anthony Mason mm-hmm. from the Knicks. And, uh, we were talking, I, I think they still win with Doug Collins, but probably not as much because Phil seemed to make Michael pass more. Yes. He, he Phil was able to finally get it, get it through Jordan's sick, thick skull that we can play better. We can win that championship. You are so dying to win. If you hit the open man, <laughs> by the way, I got I'm going to make you jealous here. I not only got to see Jabbar play with the Milwaukee Bucks. And this was back when he was Lou Alcindor. I saw and him, Oscar Robertson too, right? Yes. I saw him play in a playoff game against the Chicago Bulls at the old Chicago stadium. It was a playoff uh, game. My brother and I and my cousin, we got into the bus on Western Avenue, went down there, uh, were able to land standing room able, uh, only tickets. And it was such a, an incredible thing to watch this guy who was clearly and easily not only the most dominant guy on the basketball court, but to me was the most dominant guy in the planet earth. The way he was, 
manhandling the Chicago Bulls in this playoff game. And back then, the, the Bulls were the bad boys of basketball. They had Jerry Sloan and Norm Van Leer. These two guys would hack everybody they could. And then they had Dennis Autry, who was the predecessor to Dave Corzine as the hack-a-guy. Hack a <laughs> He'd just go out there. Dennis Autry was out there to just cripple Lou Alcindor. And to show you what a hypocrite I am, I would uh, I would cheer for that. And then when the Detroit Pistons started to do it for the Bears, I started crying, oh, that's not allowed. That's not the way the game is played. So, that yes, Corzine's I, probably I, I the miss- worst player I've ever seen <laughs> in terms of being a that. center. Yes. Like that That's the big difference, too, if you look back <laughs> at uh, the Detroit beating them. Uh-huh. I mean, they had – I mean, no, no, I'm no hate on Sam Vincent. He was okay, but they – they had like Brad Sellers and Sam Vincent and this Corzine guy, you know, like there's a lot of pieces that aren't there in two years yeah. is what I'm saying. When they win the championship, not that Will Purdue was like great or anything, but Corzine's a bum, Yeah, he, but he, I guess he stayed in the league 10 years. So, was, I mean, yeah. you know, back then, who the hell am I calling a bum? But you know, back then, if you were a seven footer and no matter how bad you played, there, there was a spot for you on some roster. I got a quick it's, Dave Corzine story to tell you. When Stacy King was here doing his podcast, he did about a half dozen of them here at the studio. He shared this story about uh, when he uh, was coming into the league, the Bulls had him come in for a tryout. Uh, and uh, they ran him through some drills and so forth. And then after a while, Jerry Krause said, listen, we want to see you uh, go up against some contact. And he was like, nah, man, I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to risk an injury and so forth. And he goes, no, this would be easy. We just want to see your post-up moves and so forth. And so this big seven-footer comes in, and Stacy looks at him, oh, they're going to put me up against Dave Corzine. And so he reluctantly said yes. And so first play, an elbow from the, from the guy that's guarding uh, Stacy, And then another elbow uh, when he's on defense. And, and Stacy's like, oh, so it's going to be like that. And then Stacy just starts getting physical with the guy. And then he turns around and says, how do you like that, Corzine? And people then say, well, wait a minute. That's not Corzine. That's the assistant coach, Phil Jackson. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Wow. Who, who would end up being his head coach? So that's a yeah. great story. Stacy does it a lot better than me. <laughs> no, that's great. And I mentioned this to you in text. Mm-hmm. So I was watching that NBA Finals, uh, I think it may have been game two, and they were talking about Rick Patino leaving the Knicks. And so the Knicks had this opening, and Phil Jackson was on there. I mean, they had pre-recorded the piece, obviously, mm-hmm. like earlier in the day. But Phil was on there saying, I would love to go to the Knicks. I this job is built for me. I played there. Mm-hmm. And, and within a couple of weeks, they fired Doug Collins and give Phil the job. Um, I'm not saying that they did that to preclude him to go to the Knicks, but either way, the Knicks, imagine the difference in the league if they said, fuck it, Phil Collins or Phil Phil Collins. Phil Jackson's our guy. Let's hire him. Like Man, imagine the difference. Oh my God! Maybe New York wins some championships. Who knows? Oh. I, I I don't know. I just I, the Knicks in hindsight should have hired him then, not much much later, but in like 1989 90. Yeah, instead the, of uh, the Bulls. And the thing is, is that at that point in his life, you know, Phil was 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 known for his marijuana smoking, for being kind of hippie, you know, wearing straw hats and sunglasses and. 
walking around the sandals and so forth. So, so I'm sure the Knicks were like, you know, maybe that's not the right look. And it was credit Jerry Krause. You know, he may have done a lot of improper things as the general manager of the Chicago Bulls, but he had a lot of faith in Phil Jackson as a teacher, as a leader. And, uh, you know, God, Michael didn't God like him at first, at right? At first he didn't. He's in like oh, all this crazy, you know, Zen shit. What the fuck is all this? And he, he, he and Doug Collins had developed a strong bond at first uh, Jordan and, and Collins fought a lot because in practice Collins would do things like uh, Michael's practice team would go up by 10 points and then he would switch Michael into the losing team to see him how Michael could come back from a 10 point deficit and Jordan would get pissed off I helped get the 10 point lead now you're gonna fucking put me back uh, in 10 points behind he would get pissed off at Collins about that and they would have arguments about it but uh, he Jordan started to appreciate the type of player he was building him into. And so that was, uh, that was pretty cool. So at first he wasn't too happy about the firing of Collins and then uh, Phil's unusual approach to stuff, but he started, uh, he started to appreciate it. He never read any of the books that Jackson would give out to all the players. I don't think any of the players read them. Maybe PJ Armstrong did, but uh, you know, on the flip that the Knicks did hire a Jackson, but it wasn't Phil it was Stu. Stu Jackson. Stu Jackson. They hired the wrong Jackson. It's like <laughs> they had Michael, like Michael Jackson right there, and they said, fuck it, let's hire this Tito guy. <laughs> that is right. That's right. the comparison between Phil and Stu. <laughs> Who was it? The, the, you, you texted me something about uh, Snapper Jones. What was that? Oh, I love Steve Snapper Jones. Yeah, he used to uh, – I used to always get the NBA League pass, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, – yeah, he did the Portland regional games yes. for the Trailblazers, and he worked for NBC back in the day, too. I thought he was great. Yeah. Snapper Jones was a great announcer. As you mentioned in one of your texts, Chick Hearn with the Lakers was outstanding, you know, yeah. known as a, a sourpuss off the mic. Uh, and it was a great scene with him and Pat Riley in that TV show. Wow. I wish we had Jeff Perlman on tonight to ask if that really happened. Yeah. Uh, well, um, you know what? That's a good question. I think I got the book somewhere. I'm going to take a look at it later after the show and see if I, I can find that chapter. Yeah. I interrupted your thought. So in case somebody didn't watch it, the, they had Chick Hearn say to Pat Riley that he sounded like a homosexual. So he didn't think that he would sound good on air because he sounded a little too homo, which I don't feel comfortable saying in 2022 or any other era, but that's the way, that's what the show depicted. True. And, and I don't remember. I never thought of Pat Riley as sounding flamboyant in no, any way. So not at all. I think it was because he had long hair back then, you know, his, his playing career with LA, he had long floppy, Pete Maravich top hair type hair. And uh, he just didn't slick it back. He probably had long hair when he slicked it back too. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I can't get over, uh, what's his name? Adrian Brody, uh, playing, uh, uh, Pat Riley, because Brody is not a handsome man. And I always thought Pat Riley was a handsome man with the slick back hair, expensive suits and stuff. And Brody with that, with that, um, big crooked nose of his that mustache was horrible. Oh my goodness. That's horrible. But it was an interesting part of the show. All right. I want to bring in uh, a guy who, uh, everybody in the chat room is chanting for it. They're going tooge, tooge, tooge. Tooch. And so let's bring him in here, him in now. Well, let me ask both of you all a question and sure. I'll, I'll get in the back seat. Okay. Because both of you all are from Illinois, mm -hmm. even though Tooch isn't there now. Mm -hmm. And you all were both adults during the Jordan era. Mm -hmm. So can you all, did you all go to any of the finals games? Yes, I did. 
Do you have any memories you can share? Yeah, uh, well, let's have uh, two answer the question. You want to go to any of the Bulls games, the finals game? I didn't. It was too expensive for me when I was, I don't know, I was got it would have been my early 20s. Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, I was very, very fortunate. I was working at McDonald's Corporation, and they owned one of the skyboxes, and it was yeah. a gorgeous skybox. It was right at center court, the second level. They've got two levels of, of skyboxes, and so I think ours was in the second level. And so I got access to a number of Bulls games, and one of them uh, was uh, one of the uh, playoff games against the Knicks. And I'm forgetting which game it was. You know, my memory – of the game is a little sketchy right now. My memory of the overall experience and just feeling like I was, you know, a big fucking shot, a big shot being there and eating free food and uh, having uh, celebrities come into our box and introduce themselves. That I, it was, I was a whirlwind. Uh, so I, unfortunately I don't have a good story, but I did see a couple of games from that, or more than a couple of games from that skybox, And one of them was a playoff game. Well, did you go to any of the finals, though? Never to one of the finals, no. Uh, my wife did, which I am really pissed off that they invited her and did not invite <laughs> me. We were dating at the time. Um, and so I was like, well, did it ever cross your mind that you, you know, say, hey, you know, I know somebody who would enjoy this more, you know, and Aldo works so hard over here. But she, she didn't do that. She wanted to go and get the free food and drink and hang out with uh, superstars. So, uh, no, I never went to a finals game. <laughs> Um, all right, a, yeah, uh, Tooch, I am asking you here for a number of reasons. First of all, to see that beautiful face of yours that a lot of people uh, think. You, what is it? Who's the actor you get most comparisons to? I, I, I've gotten Robert De Niro a lot. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, Robert De Niro with a thyroid problem. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um but I, I wanted to get your take. We were talking earlier about Bears, free free agents that you or or, or anybody thinks that perhaps Ryan Poles should have gone after. you have any, a take on that? Yeah, I do. Uh, I mean, well, first of all, I, I think the Bears are bipolar. You know? <laughs> all this, this stuff, like, rubs off. Okay, it's like we, we get these emotional highs of Larry Okunjobi, you know, and then all of a sudden I failed his physical crap. You know, we're going to have this dynamic, you know, it's so bears, you know, I don't know whether these, these events just stand out to guys like you and me and Dan, mm -hmm. you know, like Dave McGinnis, we signed Dave McGinnis to be our head coach, you know, these kind of things just continue, like Dan was saying, these kind of things just seem to always happen to us, you know, and I know Greg Gabriel explained it very well, but this is just part, you know, they, they agree to terms, he comes in, he takes his physical, and if he doesn't pass the physical, there's no deal. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's it, you mm -hmm. know, but the guy that we signed uh, in, in lieu of, uh, of Ogan Joby, Justin Jones, pretty good player with the chargers, you know, so we, we didn't lose too much ground there, mm -hmm. but some guy, I, 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 there's a lot of chat in the, uh, in the chat room, a lot of talk about uh, signing quarter cornerbacks and safeties because we are thin there, you know, and I, I, I've been talking about the honey badger for a while because he makes plays He's a great tackler. Mm -hmm. and Ryan Poles has been talking to him. So that, that, this is like a little. Uh, have there been reports that Poles and, and, and Tyron have been talking? Someone said in the chat room that Poles oh. was talking to Tyron Matthew, who uh, is only mm. 29 years old. Yeah. You know, which, that's not old for safety. Mm -hmm. you know? And then uh, I would have liked to have seen uh, uh, the Bears go after some 
uh, cornerback like Carlton Davis or J.C. Jackson. Carlton Davis didn't sign for much. I think it was like $15 million a year, three years, 45 to go back with the Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. And then J.C. Jackson got a huge contract with the Patriots. Mm-hmm. And I think Dante Jackson is still out there. Stephon Gilmore is still out there. Of course, Gilmore's 31, has lost a step. Probably still could, could you know, uh, play cornerback for the Bears for a year or two. See, I, I, I don't know about that. I, I had seen uh, Gilmore's name brought up a couple of times, and I just feel like he is on the downside of his yeah, career. He had those sure. fabulous seasons with the Patriots. Yep. I think he's the type of guy that Poles doesn't want to bring into the organization. These guys who are, yeah. you know, he wants guys who uh, are ascending or – have something to prove uh, and get a one one year bridge contract, but not necessarily a guy who you know doesn't have it to prove it. You know, um, I don't think Gilmore, in my assessment, uh, will ever be anywhere near the player that he was. And so, what no. what what Poles is looking for are equanimous St. Browns that he can bring in at less than a million dollars. His contract is nine hundred eighty thousand dollars. And Equinemius has the possibility of being a uh, 40, 50 uh, pass catching uh, wide receiver with breakaway ability to get, you know, 3.5, five yards, uh, yards after the catch. Um, so, you know, I think that's what, what Poles is looking for. I'd be shocked if he signed a veteran, you know, uh, uh, one of these, one of these, I, I, I would frankly be surprised if, uh, surprised if he sound, uh, signed the Badger. Um, yeah. I think he's kind of fits into that guy who's going into the downside of his career. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I, I people in the chat room don't like how he, he without last year's Kansas City's defense took a noticeable downturn without Teron Matthew in the lineup. Then when he came back, they started to make a little bit of a of, of a run at the end and, and uh, stopping teams instead of you know giving up you know a lot of points in their games, mm-hmm. the Chiefs. But uh, for uh, for a year or two, maybe three years, it wouldn't be bad. You know, you gotta gotta put we, we gotta have people back there. What are we gonna we only have what six draft picks? We can't fix everything in the draft. We have That's to sign three thing, agents. Yeah. yeah, it's and Greg Gabriel says now with the signing of Muhammad, who's a guy that I like, this defensive end. Um, and, and I was really impressed with his reaction to the facilities at Hal saw. It was like he was saying, This is unbelievable, how great this is. Uh, but uh, the point is, uh, being that Greg Gabriel said that yeah. that acquisition means that he he doesn't have inside information on this, but he is not going to be surprised if the Bears trade Robert Quinn and if they can get another second rounder and a, and a mid or late rounder for him, you might see polls pull the trigger. And I, at first I thought, absolutely not. You need some guy to pass rush. But it, the more and more I look at Poles' plan, I mean, this is a complete uh, uh, nuclear bombing of the roster. Uh, you know, there, there's uh, Rick Morrissey of one of the Chicago newspapers wrote a column saying that Poles uh, is is showing and, and, and that he is not necessarily in love with Justin Fields and that he is leaving things open a lot like our chat room. Yeah. (laughs) Prove yourself, uh, Justin, and I will then fall in love with you. I mean, and (laughs) I, I agree with that approach. This wasn't your quarterback and maybe you would have picked, uh, you know, the guy that went to new England. I, I doubt it, you know, but, um, you still, you guys still got to prove it. Now, 
he's on the roster. He's got a lot of physical skills. He, he's, he's, he certainly looks the part. So you want to give him all of the assets necessary to make his transition to a starter uh, in the NFL as easy as possible. But yeah, you know, he's still, you still got to prove it. You still got to go out there and do it. So let me give you, let me give you another name. Uh, this guy would fit good in a, in a four, three defense. It might not, might not cost that much. He's only 25 years old, and uh, he was on the Eagles last year. Eagles drafted him out of Tennessee. He was one of Tennessee's all-time uh, sack leaders. Dude's name is Derek Barnett, natural pass rusher. And uh, the Eagles just signed Hassan Reddick to a big contract to be their uh, pass rusher. So, I mean, now that we're transitioning to a 4-3 more, this is a guy that you can plug in it and, you know, mm-hmm. even at least rotational, you know, and with, with – with you know better coaching, perhaps he could he could become uh, a, a good part of the defense. But that's mm-hmm. a guy I would like to see them maybe kick the tires on. Yeah, Dan, what do you think? Would you trade uh, Robert Quinn and try to acquire more draft assets? I mean, if it's like for a fifth round pick, no. Mm-hmm. If they could get something crazy like a, like a second, mm-hmm. then maybe. I kind of hope the Quinn's still here because the blind optimist and like the guy on Twitter who thinks. I'm the worst person in the world, <laughs> you know, and the most negative or what have you. Um, I honestly think the Bears can compete this year because I do think Fields is going to take that next step and show people that he's the real deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd like to see Quinn here, but if you traded him for a second round pick, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be mad. Yeah. PJ said a, a second rounder and a seventh rounder, and he would be happy. And frankly, I would too. I, I would love to try to get a six rounder out of it. Uh, because once you get to the seventh round, you know, it's it's almost like the guys, there are undrafted free agents that you can have that are as good as seventh rounders. But then again, you know, if this draft is as deep as they say, then maybe you do want to have seven, seventh round picks. So that way you have access to these guys that the uh, general managers are going to be scrambling for after the draft is over, making calls to uh, try to sign all these free agents. So. Uh, you know, if the Bears had three uh, second rounders, that would mean they would have three picks in the top what uh, sixty-four picks. That would be pretty effing awesome. Uh, yeah, n- none of them in the first round, but maybe you know, if there's a first rounder that falls to late in the first rounder, maybe you could package those two of those second rounders and move up and pick your. Uh, next uh, uh, starting uh, left offensive tackle or your next starting cornerback to team with Jalen Johnson. So I've, I've started to kind of warm to the idea of trading Quinn, you know, given that this, this team is, is, is just being rebuilt, man. And we, we're just going to have to have faith that Poles knows what he's doing. I think uh, uh, the chat room's talking a lot about Eric Fisher, who was on the Colts last year. Mm-hmm. You know, who Eberflus probably knows pretty well, knows his character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's only 31 years old, uh, more of a right tackle than a left tackle, but, you know, could be uh, counted on to play left tackle as well. He was at Kansas City in the 2020 yeah, season. And he was got, at Kansas City too. Yep. He got, suffered, I think, a serious Achilles injury and, and wasn't available to the Colts until like the middle of last season. So both Poles and Eberflus know him. And yep. – uh, the, the, the sad thing, though, is that it appeared that last year, although he played adequate le- enough, it seems like he's not the player he was with Kansas City. And so who knows whether he'll ever be able to play at that it level. Sounds like a third-wave free agent, Brian Pulse. 
That's right. <laughs> oh man. Anybody yeah, else? We'll call him while he's out, while he's out fishing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> By the way, I saw the name of uh, Jason Peters in the chat room. Are, are, would you guys be against Jason Peters coming back to, uh, as a bridge left tackle while the Bears get their shit together? You could do a lot worse. You know? <laughs> So, I thought he played pretty well. Yeah, he did. So did I. He seemed to get better as the season wore on. You know, my biggest complaint was he he, he failed to get to the second level and really pick up on 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 his man and and make a uh, efficient block at the second level. But as the year went on, he was like, "I'll show you, fucking Aldo," <laughs> and he was making those blocks. So he now he is not the uh, fleet-footed offensive lineman that the Bears are trying to build this offensive line. Too, but if you can't find that left tackle to do that, uh, and and if they're not sold that Tevin Jenkins or even Larry Borum is that guy, maybe Peters is is a one year stop gap. You know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it. So uh, Fisher is a right tackle. He played left tackle his entire career. Tooch, uh, that is correct. I I, yeah. I want to say that PJ is. Correct. I, mean, I mean, like maybe now. You know, I don't know if. You know, I don't know if he can handle left tackle. You know, anymore after his injury. That's what I'm trying to say, but. Yeah. Who knows? And, and what do you guys think about the uh, uh, anti-vaccine guy, Cole Beasley? Uh, Greg Gabriel loves the idea of bringing him in because as a slot receiver, he could be that dependable guy. How old is he, though? He's 30 or 31. I yeah, he's not that old. Yeah. He so, was playing in the game where Brandon Marshall got hurt. His last game as a Bear in 2014 against Dallas on a Thursday I think, night. I think he's 31. He was in the league eight years ago. Yeah, so uh, trying to find out his age right now. Mule well, says, "Cool, uh, Cole Beasley would be a good pickup as a veteran wide receiver for Fields." Yeah, you know, it's like they they told us they being Eberflus uh, in the polls is that they've done research into what second year quarterbacks need most in this league, and the answer was a very reliable player to connect with on those third down situations. You know, third and seven where you need to pick up a first down. And so, it, you know, we saw Darnell Mooney be kind of Justin Fields guy for that last season, but a slot player that can get open and pick up yards after the catch. Cole Beasley might be the best one right now. Although uh, 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 Byron Pringle played the majority of his snaps for the chiefs last year at the slot position. I think it was like 60% of his snaps. Where he lined up at that slot position. So, I think the Bears are going to have some really nice options at uh, people who could uh, be a slot receiver if they bring in a Cole Beasley. They, then they can put uh, Darnell Mooney in there sometimes. Then they can put Pringle in there sometimes. And that's, to me, uh, you know, that and having a, a good tight end, those to me are the, are the best security blankets you can give uh, a quarterback, you know, because those, you well, can find those guys over the middle real quick. I looked it up. Beasley's 32. Okay. Julio's 33. Oh, wow. I would much rather have Julio Jones, but I'm afraid he's going to run to Tampa Bay and try to get a ring or something like that or Kansas City. Which or... he should, right? I mean, you know, come on. The guy's been a great uh, player his his career. He should go to a contender. 
Signed Bobby. Maybe we can build a contender here. <laughs> Not with Julio Jones. Yeah, he's got a year or two left. A T3P podcast says no more old players. <laughs> so I kind of agree, agree with him. Let's go young. Let's have. Uh, well, if you were going to sign Cole Beasley, like Julio's only a year older. I hear you. I hear you. But Julio is that wide out, you know, and he's got. He needs to beat. Uh, zones and and one on one coverage. Well, Cole Beasley, that he he's a proficient slot guy who's going to run those co- crossing patterns and just get open all the time. I you know yeah, Julio Jones is going to the Hall of Fame probably. Cole Beasley is no is the only way he's going to the Hall of Fame is if he buys a ticket. Um, <laughs> so. I, I get what you're saying, uh, Dan. And and Dan's been right more often than not. I mean, he he was two years ago. He's telling me we should go after Leonard Fournette. He's a free agent. I'm going. You don't need Leonard Fournette. Come on. He, I mean, he's washed up anyways. He's always getting hurt and so forth. And what happens? He fucking becomes an integral part of the Tampa Bay Bucks winning a, a Super Bowl. <laughs> so it's a bowling that. ball, man. I like backs like that. Yeah. Like the one that was always in New England. Mm-hmm. It went to Detroit. Uh, Legarrett Blunt. Like when he was young, I love backs like that can just run your ass over big bowling balls. Yeah. Like that's why I like Jordan Howard. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and you know what's weird about Jordan Howard, he's never had that success. Um outside of the Dow Loggins offense, you know, he, he went to Philadelphia and they they got some juice out of him. They got some yardage out of out of that guy. But you know, it is true about some of these running backs, man. They're they're prime time years are, are two or three four years tops and look at saquon barkley i mean has he ever lived up to he's you? been hurt a lot though yeah Tucci, you know this from fantasy football did he ever have like a he a had like one, one one good year you know yeah. jordan howard would would kill in san francisco one cut you know mm-hmm. yeah. if, if, if jordan howard went to the 49ers you know yeah. he could have he could have a revive his career mm-hmm um, I'll tell you the guy that I liked, and it's to your point, Aldo, that he's an example of like, ah, he was good for like two years, was Jay Ajayi. Yeah. The guy that was in Miami and then went to Philly and won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. But he was yeah. just a run your ass over kind of dude with the with Miami mm-hmm. and just looked thick as fuck. You know, he's going to run you over, carry three guys with him and. Is he's out of the league, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is out of the league right now. I think he had some problems, had some injury problems. issues. Yeah, and then he have some problems with the law too. Um, maybe uh, not. I no. should check that out before he, I uh, that out there. He had kind of like a, a OJ Anderson lower body, you know? Like, yeah, remember OJ Anderson? Look like yeah, these oh yeah, MVP of the Super Bowl. Yeah, oversized uh, football pants. <laughs> Yeah, I'm 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 confused a bit here. It says here uh, from an article dated uh, January 30th, 2019. The headline is "Eagles Jay Ajay being sued?" Question mark. Here are the details about the alleged shoplifting incident. So I won't read right. the whole thing, but so, so he's had some some issues. So if he's out of the league, it might also be for character purposes. But again, I, I'm just speculating there. Um, there was a question earlier about um. Yeah, wasn't Julio Jones involved in that one play that uh, would have been a touchdown 
in the it was a big playoff game or or game late in the season, and he didn't turn around and look for the ball, and the ball was thrown by the quarterback, and it was an interception. I don't know. I don't remember. Okay, here's what I was thinking about uh, from Jay Rock. I like Marquez Valding's Scantling, but not for $9 million a year, which is what Spotrack has listed his market value. So I put out on Twitter, do you think that given that uh, the wide receiver market is what it is, that he is worth $9 million or more or less? And we got a lot of responses. The majority was definitely below. And Greg Gabriel confirmed that, saying there's no way he's going to get $9 million a year, which means probably the reason that he hasn't been signed yet is that he's trying to get $9 million, and he's not getting an offer anywhere near that. So do you think that he's going to go back to uh, Green Bay and try to play under Aaron Rodgers and, and get those stats up now that the Devontae Adams is not there, maybe sign a one-year contract with the Packers so that in 2023 he is then a highly prized or sought-after free agent? Or do you think he might want to come to the Chicago Bears for 3 or $4 million and fight for that number one job and not have to worry about Aaron Rodgers' uh, bullshit stuff that is always fucking ruining <laughs> the clubhouse atmosphere? Anyway, not, we didn't, right. sounds good to we didn't me. Get, I'm on board. Uh, Dan's opinion on Devontae Adams leaving the Packers. Yeah, Devontae. I'm happy. I, I will confess to you. I said on your very airwaves three, four years ago that I wasn't interested in him because he dropped too many passes. Yeah. That's when he was a free agent because we were asking at the time on 100 Proof, mm -hmm. uh, should the Bears go after him? I was like, no, this dude drops too many passes. He really told me to shut the fuck up with his last deal. <laughs> uh, he excelled far beyond my expectations. I hope he continues that up with the Raiders now that we don't have to see him. Best of luck. I'm glad he's gone. I I hope Rodgers. You got the the running or I'm sorry the linebacker mm -hmm. that just was going to go to uh, Baltimore and, and is now talking shit about him. Mm -hmm. So I, I I like the fact that it just seems like everyone's pointing a finger at him now. So I hope that this, the, that the Scantling guy does come here and says, yeah, he's a fucking dick, man. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, I came to Chicago to get away from that shit. Um, or maybe I'm writing a narrative that isn't there, but that's the one I want to be there. <laughs> I hear you. I'll tell you, it's going to be interesting to see if Devonte has that same connection with Derek Carr, his longtime friend uh, that he developed with Aaron Rodgers. By the way, there was something about Aaron Rodgers that I wanted to talk about. I, I thought I wrote in my notes, but I don't see it. Did, it, did you send me something, uh, Dan, about Aaron Rodgers further illustrating what a cock he is? <laughs> that was that. It was a meme with that uh, linebacker. Okay. Uh, the guy that they cut. Yeah, the yeah, whole... yeah, yeah. Uh, saying that the, he didn't want that drama and uh, th that Devontae Adams. Yeah, that's what it was. You're absolutely right. What you just said. Devontae Adams going over to Raiders, probably a good idea. You know, because he, you know, he uh, doesn't have to sit in the locker room and, and listen to all that drama that his quarterback uh, brings to the team. Yeah, I yeah. Got, here's the quote. Yeah, here's the quote. Seeing Kirk talking about cousins, right? They're working with his his KJ and Adam. Really assured, reassured me. He's not sitting on some YouTube channel creating drama. Right. He's putting in the work. Because he sees a weak NFC North, and so do I. Mm -hmm. Zadarius Smith. Mm -hmm. That is Zadarius Smith that said that indeed. Yep. Uh, and he was one of the guys uh, that you guys were interested in maybe being a Chicago Bear. Oops, sorry about that. Um, 
uh, didn't you say that to me, Dan, that you were kind of looking forward to him maybe being entertained by the Chicago Bears? I don't think so, but I'm not opposed to the idea, especially if you're going to, uh, you know, if you're going to dump Robert Quinn, you got to sign somebody. Yeah. Well, you know? he's a Viking now. So, uh, you know, the one thing about the signings by the Packers and the Vikings, n- none of them really scare me. And, and like you said, uh, Dan, this division really is wide open. The Bears could potentially steal it, you know, but I, right now I'm not seeing a roster that can contend for the division championship under normal circumstances. And you know what? Uh, Rogers, uh, I, I read an article uh, today that the Packers are probably going to be more of a uh, short passing offense, more of a run offense. Aaron Jones, the starting running back for the Packers, should probably be considered as the number one overall fantasy uh, draft pick because the, the I call Pack- bullshit on this. Well, the Packers are going to have to rely on their running backs. They got that big power back, the uh, AJ Dillon, and they got the starter Aaron Jones. I think that without Devontae Adams, you know, he will not allow this to happen. Uh, uh, being Aaron Rodgers, he will not. He's the fucking coach. He's the GM. He's LeBron <laughs> in it. You're right. He like if if the GM thought that he was the boss. Or that little boy, the head coach, thinks he's the boss. Mm-hmm. Rogers is a $150, $200 million contract says otherwise. Yeah. He's what? the boss. He's not going to allow them to not to, to make him irrelevant. He's going for another MVP. Mm-hmm. He you talk about a person that pads their stats. Mm-hmm. That's what people accuse Stafford of for so long. That's Aaron Rodgers, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with you. I agree that his reputation is much more important to him than winning Super Bowls and in some cases winning games. I mean, he cries a lot when they don't win. Uh, but I think that given that he could have helped the team re-sign Devontae Adams, he could have called Devontae and said, listen, they're offering me $50 million for three years. I told them no fucking way I'm going to sign for that. If you're telling me that you can't sign Devonte Adams to a long-term contract, sign Devonte Adams first, and then tell me what is left and we'll go from there. But he didn't do that. You know, t- you know why Tom Brady has six rings or what is it? Six or seven. He rings? played for less than a lot. Exactly. <laughs> Throughout his career, he forfeited salary and he would tell the Patriots, Get me some receivers, you know. And get some, me Randy Moss. Yeah. Well, and it, there was one season where he was pissed off, you know, that they didn't do anything in the offseason to get a, a number one receiver, and he let them know. Th- that's the thing. That's the huge difference between Rodgers and Brady. You know, Brady is is a true leader, really plays for championships. Rodgers plays uh to get, you know, have have enough money to have lifelong colonoscopy treatments or whatever the fuck he puts up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, um, let's see. It is nine 30. So we got another hour with uh, Dan. Um, what else regarding the Chicago Bears should we talk about? Somebody in the chat room brought up an interesting kind of debate question is should the Bears sign David Montgomery to a long-term contract? Yes. Yes. Tell, yes. Tell me why you feel that way. Cause I feel like he, can catch the ball, he can run the ball, he can run people over. Mm-hmm. Like I told you, the kind of back I like. And he is, he's not a huge guy like a LeGarrette Blunt, but he can play large though mm-hmm. and shed tacklers. He can still juke and make moves too. He's a complete back, mm-hmm. in my opinion. 
the I I know everyone loves Forte and okay, he did put up some good stats. I still I've said it before. I think Montgomery is our best back since Thomas Jones. Mm-hmm. And I don't want him going to the Jets or someone like Jones did just just to get rid of him because we got Cedric, uh, you know, but he's dead, so let's not shit on him. But th- the point is, I think he's our guy. We drafted him. I know it's a different regime, but, uh, you know, you're gonna, you're bringing in a fullback this year. Let's go. Let's run the ball. Give him a deal, man. He's worth it. Dude, uh, somebody in the chat, uh, Ravi, says that Bears fans tend to overvalue their own players and that Montgomery is a guy. See, I agree with the premise that we overlove. I've always thought that about Allen Robinson, but I didn't want to come out and necessarily say it mm-hmm. and get jeered to death on air. But <laughs> like, I, there was no way I was wanting to give A-Rob 20 or 19 or $18 million a year. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I'm glad he didn't get that here. I don't think he's worth it. I'm not trying to besmirch him, but I just don't think he was worth it. So I get the overlove. I feel the same way about James Daniels being overloved. But I think David Montgomery is the exception there. I think David Montgomery is a solid back who would benefit from a real coach now and a real offensive scheme mm-hmm. that will actually run the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Tony Moy says, hey, well, it kind of depends on how much Montgomery wants, you know. Uh, and I, I would hope that Montgomery, what, when and if, if and when, contract negotiations open up, that he's not going to try to be the highest paid running back in football. You know, if he really – if he really wants to play for the Bears, he should take lesser money and maybe take it, you know, the big thing now is how much is guaranteed. And we're seeing more and more contracts getting moving from that 50, 60% guaranteed to that 90 to 100% guaranteed. That's that's what you want. You want more guaranteed dollars. If you're going to sign a $20 million contract and 90% of it is guaranteed as opposed to a $40 million contract and 50% of it is guaranteed, what, what do you think is better? I, I, I think Montgomery can help himself, help the Bears by uh, by playing ball. Uh, and, uh, you know, because it is, I, I think the prevailing thought by most organizations, we'll see how polls is, is that, running backs are easily replaceable. And and, and for that matter, uh, it's happening in the wide receiver position too. We're seeing a lot of teams now think, I can find a Darnell Mooney in the fourth or fifth round. I can find other quality wide receivers lower. Let's invest those high draft picks and those big money contracts on offensive and defensive linemen. And that's not a bad strategy to go about it because the, the colleges uh, are, are churning out more skilled players than they are uh, players who play near the line of scrimmage. And so those players are harder to find, and, and maybe just you have to look at it that way. What do you guys think? I think the best players that we have on our team, mm-hmm. and I, I won't put Robert Quinn in there because he may not be there, but the guys that should be there in 2022 – I think the best three guys we have are Roquan Smith, Justin Fields, and David Montgomery. Mm-hmm. So I would like to see Roquan and Montgomery taken care of. We've got Fields for at least two more years, ideally at least three more, because mm-hmm. they'll have the, the option on him. Mm-hmm. But I I just think those are your best guys, man. You, you bring your best guys back. Mm-hmm. Um, what about Khalil Herbert? There was somebody posted a, uh, a video on Twitter. I should have... I should have grabbed it. Basically alleging that Khalil Herbert is going to be a better running back in this scheme, in this outside zone running scheme, than uh, 
David Montgomery, who's more of a power back who runs in between the tackles straight ahead. And Killer Herbert is that guy that's going to run outside and then pick that lane to cut, that make that one cut and, and pick up big yards. Um, I, I think, first of all, it's great to have that power and lightning type of approach. You know, So having both of them, at least for this season, is great. But do you think that uh, Khalil Herbert could potentially be a number one wide receiver? I mean, there's a possibility, especially if we let Montgomery walk, that by default he gets the job. Mm-hmm. But I just feel I could be proven wrong that David Montgomery is an asset. Yeah. No, I, And I like you said, right. maybe in the offense, maybe he won't be. Maybe it won't be a fit. But I just thought that the previous staff didn't know what the fuck they were doing with anybody. Right. They had no so, value for the running game. So, you know, or the passive or anything. Like nobody <laughs> had good stats. Look at <laughs> Allen Robinson's stats last year. He's so much better than what he did mm-hmm. on the field. We know Fields is we we think Fields is better than what he showed last year. Mm-hmm. There's one common denominator, the bald fuck that was calling the plays. And I think David Montgomery will show that he's a better back than than he even got an opportunity to prove in that bullshit offense that we were running. Yeah. Very, That's very, a great point. Mm-hmm. I, we, we don't know what – I mean, we don't know how good David Montgomery could be. He works his ass off in the offseason, man. He did last year, and he came in. He played better than the year before. If he's working as hard as last year, he could be even better this year. Mm-hmm. He's at career highs this past year in yards and touchdowns, I think, right? And he missed, what, four games? Yeah. I will say this. I agree with Mo Beerman, who says, let Monty play out his deal and see what happens. I agree with that. I, yeah. I think yeah, that's what we said about Patrick O'Donnell, and he's punting in Green Bay. Now. Yeah, <laughs> that actually worries me because who the fuck is going to punt? That's so important for a team. And he's the holder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, that is so important. You need a guy who does a great I, job of holding and there's a I there's think a, Trevor Simeon is a holder though too for, at least for a, extra points yeah right a lot yeah. of teams have the backup so, guy he and Cairo need to learn like to start hanging out immediately if he signed that mm-hmm. um oh, I lost my thought um regarding uh, who's gonna punt for the Bears <laughs> this yeah, is so gonna, bears that we we don't even have a punter we don't have a punter I mean there's and so our punter with spots. Green Bay yeah. <laughs> no, you were asking about David Montgomery. Should we let him play out his deal and take a chance in losing him? Yeah. And I interrupted you and pointed out uh, that's what we said about you know no. the punter. And- right. And I and I agree with with that. You know. It, it, oh, I remember my point now. Thanks for that uh, lead in, uh, Dan. The, the biggest priority now in terms of re-signing people is Roquan Smith and. I think that the Bears really want to try to work something out, but it's Roquan and I think his mom who are negotiating the contract. And so I don't know where that is. You know, are are those two qualified to do a good deal that is great for them and good for, for the club? Maybe they are. I don't know. I'm no fan, a big fan of agents, but I do know that if you take a unusual approach, towards the contract negotiations it could lead to to some problems i've never ever or i don't recall ever reading a story where uh the general manager said oh we really loved working with the player's family on getting this contract done it's usually a general manager and an agent 
relationship that gets things done rather quickly and well. There are, of course, exceptions. There are some agents that are assholes, and there are some general managers that are assholes. But I, I'm just a little bit worried that, that this should be done already. This Roquan should be assigned for uh, five years, $120 million, 80% guaranteed. Let's go, man. Let's and and make it uh, friendly, you know, uh, so that the Bears can have some more cap dollars in 2023 to really make a huge haul in free agency and sign some of their other younger players. Have money available for David Montgomery if you think that he should be with the Bears another three, four seasons. Got to resign Roquan and got to do it quickly. I agree. I mean, worst case, you could franchise him, I guess, mm -hmm. after this season. But I'd like to see him uh, get the deal done before even going. Uh, I was about to say to Bourbon A, but I guess Lake Forest is where the, the, the uh, do camp now, right? Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it made me think of a different sport. But when you were talking about the negotiations and agents, it made me think. I mean, of course, I wasn't behind the scenes, but the story at the time that was that Derek Rose was able to play, but his agent, BJ Armstrong, was like, no, bro, we don't want you playing. And he's like, oh, so I'm not going to play. That's what it made me think of, like the the ordeal that he put the Bulls through, circa right. 2012. Mm -hmm. And you don't want that from Roquan's mom. Some some bizarre shit. Like, don't take this uh, deal, honey. You know. Yeah, that that is so effing true. I mean, I I, I was actually sharing that story with my wife uh, yesterday or a couple of days ago when talking about mistakes that the Bears have done. Um. Somebody asked the question: Should we? Uh, the Bears going to draft a punter in the draft? And it's not unheard. We already did that with O'Donnell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and and I was so so excited because the guy was a phenomenal athlete, but it didn't exactly come off uh, uh, to a flying start with the Bears. But they had patience with him, and and, and th this guy deserved uh, to resign again. Guys who can punt well at Soldier Field are important. Tooch has uh, put out, we spent a second round pick on Todd fucking Sauerbrunn and then the team duct taped him to yeah, the West Virginia, West Virginia's own Todd Sauerbrunn, whom I hated. Yeah, he was a, he was apparently a huge asshole. <laughs> they, he had a 97-yard punt. Of course, it rolled. But that's what got him his notoriety. But he showed up to the training camp, and his license plate said hang time. <laughs> In the pro, the thing I remember the most, other than him being a massive bust, was in the in the paper in 2007. He was like Devin Hester, and he punted to Devin Hester twice in the third quarter of the game at Soldier Field when the Broncos came in. Mm -hmm. And in back-to-back -back punts, Devin took it to the house. Yeah. And, the, and one of them, he leapt over Sauerbrunn trying to make the tackle. Oh, so. man. <laughs> I can't remember who, who the GM was that spent a second-round pick on a punter. Fucking, it would have been Hatley, right? Was it Hatley? Yeah, that's fucking Hatley. unforgivable. Yeah. I'll have to ask Greg yeah. about that. Yeah. I guess the whole idea was at the time that <laughs> Wani could utilize him for coffin corners situations at Soldier Field. And mm -hmm. in theory, that sounds good, but not for a second round pick. Right. That sounds like something the Raiders would have done when when Al was like really old. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> they did spend a first rounder on Janikowski, but at least he proved to be worthy of that. Mm -hmm. He might be a Hall of Famer, Janikowski. Um, yeah. yeah. He should be. He, uh, he played into his 40s. Yeah, oh my goodness. I saw his last yeah. kick was in that playoff game. 
he was at the Seahawks against Dallas and like blew his knee out on a kick. I was like, well, that's that. His mm-hmm. career's over. Mm-hmm. Then I had to play the rest of the game without a kicker. <laughs> Some of the punters that are coming on the college, there is, of course, everybody's talking about Matt Arizia. This guy's a phenomenal athlete. He's ranked overall, he's ranked like 150th, which means he's probably going to get drafted in the third or fourth round, early day three. But there are some other really good punters coming out. Jordan Stout over at uh, Penn State, a six foot three kid who uh, had outstanding numbers at Penn State. Ryan Stonehouse, who kicked that Colorado stat. So maybe some of his stats are inflated a little bit because of the air quality up there. But he's highly uh, regarded coming into this draft. And then the, the other guy who I think is getting a lot of acclaim uh, is the kid from Illinois here in uh, uh, Champaign. Yeah, six foot six, 225-pounder Blake Hayes. So there's some guys who – those guys could all be drafted, but some of those guys might not be. And so it's a rush to the telephone and make a good offer to bring in the guy. But the Bears will have to bring in a – if they are going to go that route, they'll also have to – um, uh, bring in a, a veteran to compete with that guy. I'm just chuckling here because Joe says, although you have that stoner grin. <laughs> yes, I do. I know. <laughs> it's years and years as a teenager. I used to smoke an ounce of marijuana a week. Is that a lot? Tooch, you know, you used to deal drugs. <laughs> if, if you shared with friends, probably not. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I was said, "Now nah, I ran out, man." <laughs> and then I run around the corner and light one up for myself. No, I'm <laughs> by, by the way, Dan, you never smoked marijuana, right? Never, never. Tucci, you, you did, right? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever used to do shotguns? You know, when you put uh, the marijuana cigarette in your mouth and then you you exhale the smoke out to a recipient who then... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so those are called shotguns. And then somebody came up with the idea of the airplane shotgun, which you are then... Both of you are, uh, are crouched down. And then while you're doing the shotgun, you stand up. And then while the guy is standing up, he presents <laughs> the wall and you push his chest in. You were supposed to get a... a a really intense rush. Well, I did that a couple of times, passed but the out. third time I did it, the guy passed out. I mean, <laughs> he went down, bam, his head hit the concrete. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, I just killed this guy. I'm going to go to fucking jail <laughs> for the rest of my life. And I'm just praying to God, please, God, please, God, despite the fact that I'm agnostic most of the time, please, God, please get, get up, get up. And finally, his eyes opened, he got up and he was all right. But that, there it is. I'm bearing my soul. See <laughs> <laughs> what you missed, Dan? <laughs> yeah, like I said, my dad had a drug problem. So, yeah, you know, I, know. I know. I know weed's a lot different than hard drugs, but still, I, I it wasn't to him. You know, weed was, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think that it's a, um, you know, the thing, it, like you smell, he smokes weed, then instantly they go to something else, like the gateway drug. But it was for him, though. Mm-hmm. And we have the same bloodline. So yeah. so yeah, so you've always been careful because of that. Yeah, I mean, he would smoke weed and it inevitably would lead to like his big thing was acid. Like you would eat that those pieces of paper, the LSD. Yeah, I, I did that. And that's when domestics yeah. occur and violence and things like Blood. that. I always resented oh, it. Yeah. I always um, resented it. And when he was straight trying not to do drugs, he got heavily religious, mm. which seemed pretentious to me at the time too. 
so I would I resented that too. Like he would make us listen to the Bible on audio cassette tape, mm-hmm. and he would write it down. Mm-hmm. It would annotate the Bible, yeah. like the whole fucking thing. Mm-hmm. So he was obsessive in those regards, and I think I got a lot of those same traits. I mean, just look at I'm obsessive with the Bears, yeah, or with my music, and so I think I'm in a lot of ways I'm the same guy. So if I were on the same drugs, I would behave the same way in certain instances, I think. And mm-hmm. I don't want to be like that. So that's why I don't do drugs. <laughs> How old is Foster? Foster's my age. Is he? Okay. And he's right. Uh, back then, yeah. when I used to buy an ounce, it was 40 bucks, actually. Uh, you know, uh, uh, an ounce of Colombian gold. And it was, I had it all perfectly ma- ma- mapped out. I would buy it on Friday. And then by Friday morning, I didn't have a single strain of marijuana left. It was like, I couldn't wait till I would get my check and then run over to this guy's house and buy another week, ounce for the week. And uh, and then, uh, yeah, Dan, I used to do acid too. And a lot of people are writing down, you know, blotter, uh, purple sunshine, orange sunshine, whatever it was called. Uh, I, I tried all that shit out, man. And uh and I, I think I finally gave it up when I when I thought that Fred Flintstone was in my bedroom uh, talking to me. And I said, okay, this this is enough of that. <laughs> Stop doing acid right after that. Fred Flintstone. <laughs> I did a bunch of acid at the R.E.M. concert. With a toy or something. <laughs> That's right. Fred Flintstone and Barney. That would have been horrible. And Barney Rubble running a train on me. That Sodomizing <laughs> you. <laughs> did did, did any, any of you guys see R.E.M. in concert? Never. No. Never. I did a My bunch of acid. That was an awesome concert, by the way. The, yeah. The American so, yeah, Beatles. So many show oh, go ahead, too. It's my bad. Go ahead. I, I thought your story I didn't know you were going deeply into the story. Go ahead. Yeah, it was uh uh the uh I forget the name of the album, but it had uh that uh uh what was it? Orange Crush song on it. That was the tour. That uh I can't remember the name of the album, but uh great show. And after so much acid, there was like a million Michael Stipes singing in my head. Oh my so, god! <laughs> but great show, though. <laughs> See, that's what my point was going to be. When I go to a concert, or I still need to watch that John Oliver piece that you told me about. I've got it on my TiVo. Mm-hmm. Uh, with concert tickets being so much now, <sighs> and sporting events being sporting events being so much, I don't want to pay. You know, like if we went to a Bears game this year, it's for three tickets could cost us a thousand dollars. You know, do I want to waste a thousand dollars and get high or drunk and not even remember the experience? Fuck no. Yeah. I'm sober when I go to these events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and the big part of that story is that agencies like Ticketmaster, who have kind of a monopoly on on, on tickets, they per they are now into the practice of purchasing a, a big contingent of their tickets that they sell and then they resell them in the reseller market making more money which is just to me that should be illegalized just should well, be well they StubHub started doing that and then that was their answer to StubHub mm-hmm. yeah right you're you're absolutely right it, but why are you now limiting the amount of tickets that you have been charged with selling for the organization and you buying them back and selling them back? That that doesn't make any sense to me. You it know? does. It is fucked up. Yeah, it, it's like, why? How much is enough, guys? You know, what? can't you stop putting the little guy in financial ruin because, you know, you're trying to and, squeeze out a few more bucks? 
and the way they do it now, like let's say all, let's say for example, okay, so it's about to be here 11 p.m. East mm-hmm. in Central. Let's say for just just for the fucking hypothetical, the Bears single single game tickets were going on sale in seven minutes, and all of us were logged in. We're like, all right, one of us will be able to get the tickets, right? One of us will. Chances are, in seven minutes, all three of our phones are going to say, "You're in a waiting room. There's two thousand people ahead of you. You're in queue." That's the way they do it now. Versus 2002, mm-hmm. you got on first come first serve. You buy your tickets. You're happy. They put you in a waiting room right now and just tell you that you're in queue. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be totally random, but is it? It probably isn't. Yeah. I, I, the fucking scalpers you. probably get them first. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, all right. Uh, there was one other Bears topic I wanted to talk about besides Roquan Smith's uh, contract. Oh, I, I, I'm beginning to believe that Eddie Jackson is a goner. Um, I so. Yeah, I, I think that this next wave of players, June 1st, these post-June 1st cuts, I think you're going to see a lot of big-name players cut then. And, and maybe Eddie Jackson's name is going to be included in that. And they're also going to become – they're, they're going to be players available to the Chicago Bears that could help them fill some holes. Uh, and they might be – guys who go against the plan of younger, cheaper players and be older, more expensive guys or, or trying to get bigger contracts like they had with the team that just released them and, and that the Bears are probably going to dip into that pool because they got to fill out a roster. Jeez, they gotta, you need 90 guys in a month for OTAs or two months for OTAs. So, um, And so as I was thinking about it and looking over the roster, I think given that Eddie Jackson has become such a divisive figure, and I would just never forgive him for allowing himself to be caught on camera saying anybody can do tackling, nobody can get get turnovers, and then not delivering on any one of those two things. Um, I'm sure that has not been lost on this brain, uh, Bears brain trust. They're going to find a way to get rid of them, but they've now, you know, we've got to re- replace two safeties. Gibson, who is uh, gone to Sean Gibson, although he is still out in the market, he could resign, and and the potential loss of Eddie Jackson. You guys, uh, I'm sure, are going to all agree. Yeah, get the fuck out of here, Eddie Jackson. Yeah, don't forget George, like uh, the year before. He called out yes. Anthony Miller mm-hmm. for the playoff game, and Anthony Miller was gone. Mm-hmm. He called out Eddie Jackson yep. without saying his name, yep. talking about how pissed off he was about how the safeties don't touch receivers when they're down. Great point. So George has probably told him, get this guy out of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know it's a risky move, and and Greg Gabriel has, has told us on his show, you know, Eddie Jackson does a lot more than just missed tackles, and, but he, he calls the defensive plays for the defensive backfield, and that's really important. But this is a new coaching staff. They, they don't give a shit about Eddie Jackson's value with that. I think they, they, it, their first uh, goal is to create a culture. And do you think that Eddie Jackson is going to abide by this hit philosophy that they bring in first of all the h is hitting right <laughs> if we were texting i could send you the laugh out loud emoji or something uh-huh. yeah because he's no he's not a hitter he's fragile he, he's not 
he doesn't like contact. He doesn't. Man. Which is which is you know the position that he plays mm-hmm. dictates that he likes to hit. And he doesn't. Right. And that's the thing too is I don't understand why they decided to sign this guy when the defense was moving towards safeties that can play free and strong safety. He's a uh, a free safety. He's a center field safety. That's when he plays his best. When he gets anywhere near the line of scrimmage or anywhere near the responsibility of having to tackle is when he gets the heebie-jeebies and he just doesn't get the job he, done. He makes Deion Sanders look like Ronnie Lott. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron Deion hated tackling. Hated. <laughs> he makes him look like a ferocious <laughs> Ronnie Lott. I'll cut my finger off for you. Yeah. He just does not like contact at all. How true is that? How true is that? And you know what? He is a small guy. Uh, uh, Greg Bragg and I went out to a charity softball tournament that he had in Schaumburg, and uh, we we got an interview with Eddie, and I told Greg, you, you go ahead and interview him. And Greg uh, is probably 5'11", and he's towering over Eddie. And uh, and Greg at the time, I'm, I think he's lost a lot of weight since then. But at the time, Greg was like 250, and Eddie Jackson like 185, 190. It just looked like Greg could easily. <laughs> Greg is a is a uh, a brick uh, layer, so he's got strong hands. He's a strong guy. I think he could have picked up Eddie Jackson and just landed him to onto the baseball field. We were actually interviewed within the dugout. Actually, he probably could have really put the hurt on Eddie Jackson. Greg is probably tougher. Yeah, I bet he is. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I got a feeling that Eddie Jackson's days with the Chicago Bears might be numbered. So if it happens, you heard it here first. If it doesn't happen, you didn't hear it here at all. <laughs> I don't even care if he runs the Green Bay. That's how much I just, <laughs> I just think that he's done. Like, he's he got paid. He did make some turnovers, a lot of turnovers in 2018. He got paid, and he got really, really soft after he got paid. And I, it's easy for me to call someone soft when I'm sitting in a chair. Maybe that's not the way I should word it, because I don't mean to be disrespectful. He just – there's a – again, I'll go back to Rocky Three. Mm-hmm. You know, he does not have the eye of the tiger anymore. Mm-hmm. He's not Mr. T running in the ghetto. He's Rocky after he's paid and complacent. Yeah, exactly. That That is, that is unfortunately – the thing with the NFL, I would love to see, you know, now I know these guys are putting their lives on the line, but I would like to see more one-year contracts with, with people with options to, you know, uh, to increase the contract. I just, I just I hate the fact in any sport, you know, when somebody signs a long-term contract and all of a sudden they, they go from that great player who's trying to earn a long-term contract to that, you know, I, I'm set uh, kind of guy and I'm not going to play as hard as I did before because I got my money. That you think Khalil Mack was like that? You know, I don't think so. Um, I, I do uh, really believe that Khalil, because he gets chipped and blocked and, and harassed so much, I, I really do believe that his body is just starting to 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 fail him. Um, but I really, uh, I really trust that he wants to win. He wants to be great. But uh, his body is just set. I, I can't do it anymore. So we'll see what happens in San Diego. You know, I, I always felt like the Bears have done a poor job at, you know, just like with Pernell McPhee, I said earlier in the show, they need to 
do more rotations on the defensive line. And guys like Kilo Mack and Robert Quinn, those guys are pass rushers first and foremost. The idea of dropping them into coverage is ridiculous. They should be out on most first down plays, and and, and or one of them should be out on most first down plays, getting rest uh, so that they're as strong late in the game as possible. And that, that just never happened. I mean, you look at all the, you know, Dan is famous for saying that the Bears defense is going on siesta again, and and it's true. And I think it was just because player rotation was was handled so poorly by yeah, the, guys. the game from last season that was the the most Bears siesta of them all. Mm-hmm. You get that big touchdown from Dalton yep. to Goodwin against the Ravens, and you think, oh man, it's like thirty seconds to go. Mm-hmm. We've won. Mm-hmm. Well, he threw a fourth down. It was a Hail Mary. He caught it. It's a touchdown. And they let some guy that's never played before. Mm-hmm. Jackson wasn't even playing. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was, of course, every time we play a backup, they suddenly have the best game of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the Bears blow the Ravens game, which is just asinine. Yeah, crazy. All right, in this last half hour, while we got uh, Dan on the line here, let's talk a little bit about some of the stuff that we've seen. I want to do a quick recommendation. Uh, uh, we have Comcast Xfinity here at home, and they provided us with a uh, one week uh, free of Apple TV. We don't have the device oh. at home to access. Yeah, we, we got it. And so, nice. Love well, Apple TV. Yeah, my wife and I did a binge of the morning show with Jennifer Aniston and Reese uh, Witherspoon playing. Uh, uh, television host reporters uh, for a morning show. And the premise of the show is that Jennifer Aniston's character was the co-host of a morning show with Steve Carell. And Carell is fired at the very beginning of the show for sexual harassment. Some women have come forward and accused him of uh, of harassment, and he is standing firm. I did not do this. I, this was consensual. I, you know, these women and I, and it's a really, really compelling story from that standpoint alone. And there's other uh, sub stories that make the thing very, very watchable. But one of the things that I think was was interesting is that the culture at this place of business and it's it happens at tv stations it's happened in places that i've worked and so forth it was that it was a fairly promiscuous environment women touching men women flirting with uh with men and vice versa now i'm not saying you know that it's right i'm saying that when you have that kind of environment then maybe the character of steve carell was was right you know this was uh, consensual because everybody was was doing it on some level of flirting and so forth. Now, as the episodes go on, you get some different perspectives on things, and I'm not going to give anything away. But it does bring to light a problem that a lot of people don't talk about is, man, when I worked at McDonald's corporate offices and their creative services, I was a fucking great looking guy. <laughs> and there were women who were saying, man, I want to get me a piece of that. And, you know, I felt like a piece of meat and I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) But but the thing, but the point I'm trying to get across is throughout my life, I have been exposed to workplaces where it was men and women going at each other uh, with, uh, you know, sexual advances. And so... Um, it, I, I highly recommend uh, season one of the morning show because it might give you a look at this complex problem of 
allegations of sexual impropriety uh, in a different way. So that's if, my recommendation. Just well, if I could segue off of that, please. That was the uh, the big like a subtopic on the Uber show this week. Yes, it was exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm super pumped, and I have to say, man, he failed. Mm -hmm. Uh, again, I, for more than three weeks or so, I've told you how much I didn't like the main character anyway. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, he gives this speech like, oh, I'm going to decimate him. Mm -hmm. I'm going to fucking destroy him now. Thank you for telling me this. And like, does nothing about it. And when the girl complains that he's retaliating, essentially, because he's mad now, mm -hmm. he's like, what do you want me to do? Fire him? I mean, we all are assholes here. Mm -hmm. It's like, so you didn't do anything. And then the other girl's getting it too. So she goes to the other woman. And tells her about it because thinking, well, you'll be able to empathize with me. And she's like, well, you know, you got to suck it up. Where are you working? So th then it just trickles down the way they talk about economics. But it trickles down within that culture that it permeates that it's okay to make advances toward women that make them uncomfortable. That, that was an incredible scene. When the woman goes to the other woman and says, I need help here. And, and she said what you just said, you know, you chose to work here which implied, you know, well, you got to take it. Exactly. Uh, and, and that woman still works at, um, at Uber and is a, uh, a, a revered person. So it's interesting that she was part of the, uh, leadership the culture that allowed this to exactly. just transpire. Exactly. So, uh, you know, it, it's a very, very complicated story. Now I am always going to side with, listening to all accusers and giving them their fair share, but there are also other extenuating circumstances. And so um, it, it doesn't make stuff right. You know, if you, if you work in a culture like that, you should know, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be, you know, in, in, in engaging in that kind of activity. I, when I worked at uh, McDonald's and these women would flirt with me, I would flirt back, you know? And then, you know, there were a couple of them that said, hey, yeah, we want to get together tonight. And I was like, uh, I got to go. <laughs> the, the only time, uh, maybe I'm not trying to make myself into a great guy here because I'm not just, I'm not bullshitting you. Mm -hmm. I think this could be a, a, a guideline that all men utilize. Mm -hmm. you, you can't touch the woman assuming that they want it. Like the guy grabs her ass and then he says, oh, I was drunk. Like to me as the guy, I can't touch another woman unless, you know, if I'm dating them and, and I know that it's okay, mm -hmm. if I've already hit it and I know it's okay, then that's one thing. Mm -hmm. But if you've never been together, you should just assume you can't touch them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, oh, another quick story is uh, one of my first professional jobs. I was working for an energy company in their creative uh, uh, services department. And uh, I was like a, a 19 year old kid. I was still going to college and, and working as a production assistant at this place. And one of the producers had to do a casting call for a project they were doing for HR, which was about sexual harassment, things you can do and say and things you can't do and say. So this guy uh, he says, yeah, I want you to come over for the, for the casting session and, and take notes. And so I, sure, you know, and he had done a cattle call, which is what's called in the business. You bring in all sorts of talent and you have them talk. He had brought in every sexy actress in Chicago 
big bosom women and blondes and all. And he was essentially doing what the HR video <laughs> told him not to. He would tell them to stand up and twirl around and, and uh, can you jiggle a little bit and so forth. <laughs> He was awful. And I, I was like, yeah, I, I'm liking this. You know, This is pretty cool. I like this job. <laughs> anyway. Well, on the episode again, I think that this was the best one because it bookend the beginning of it with Joseph Gordon-Levitt talking about Boober. Yes. <laughs> as, as he, uh, man, I, it, within the context, the reporters seem to be trying to get him to say it. Mm -hmm. she was, oh, the women really do like you, though, don't they? Yeah, yeah. You know, it was like she was leading him that way and wanted a, mm -hmm. a you know, a, a disgusting quote, and he gave it to her. Mm -hmm. But so you book in the episode with like the boober comment and then all the allegations of sexual harassment in the middle and in the end. I thought the way they structured the episode, it was the best one yet. And I thought Uma Thurman was really good as Ariana Huffington oh as well. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Um, is, uh, I love the jab at Bill Maher in it, too. And I love Bill Maher, but uh, she's like, I've got to listen to all the bullshit that Bill Maher says, you know, uh, just talking about being on bad dates with people, you know. Yes. Um, I, did you get a chance to see any of these, uh, Tooch, uh, the Lakers one or the Uber one? Oh, you're, you're muted. Winning time with the Lakers, I'm caught up. But I okay. haven't watched the Uber. Is the Uber's what Showtime? It's on Showtime. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Showtime. Okay. Yeah, that's it, one it, I have a cut. If you don't have Showtime, I can give you my login info when we get off air. I I have Showtime on Apple TV. There you okay. go. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, it was like a package with uh, Showtime, ESPN Plus, and uh, Paramount Plus. Mo Beerman says Aldo throwing dollar bills. Now, that was another thing I miss. I miss about my corporate job during that period that I was working is we we did a lot of trips to Vegas, man. And I'll never forget the 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 first year I worked uh, for McDonald's corporate. We we did a trip down to Vegas for the Consumer Electronics Show. So it was a convention, and my boss takes me to a strip club, and um, he. It kept sending strippers over I mean, to give me lap dances. I was paying nothing and I'm getting all these lap dances. And I was like, man, I, I really love this job. This <laughs> is so good. Anyway, um, let's talk a little bit about that Lakers show, uh, winning season of the Los Angeles Lakers dynasty. I think it's a subtitle. Winning, winning time, the rise time. of the Lakers dynasty. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so the, Episode this week is basically they're trying to find a head coach. And holy shit, their efforts to try to land Jerry Tarkanian, who was the head coach of the UNLV Running Rebels, was fucking fascinating. And I had no idea that this really happened. Tarkanian's uh, basically right-hand man, advisor, and so forth. He was he was killed by the mob because Tarkanian was ready to go take this Lakers job. And Tarkanian, who probably was in business with the mob and they didn't want him to leave because he would do what they were saying. They would make a lot of money off of him. Well, they knew that his uh, financial advisor buddy guy was was pushing him to make this move to as the Lakers head coaching job. And for two or three days. He, they were calling him, couldn't find him, and they eventually found him in the trunk of a car. Did you it was his car. 
It was his car. Yeah. Did you guys know this story at all? I had no. no I did not know. Oh my gosh! I did a little research on it, and most of it is exactly the way that it happened. Except at the time, Jack Kent Cook was still helping Jerry Buss, and so he was involved in some of these meetings down in Las Vegas and stuff. And um, but yeah, for the most part, it's all true. I had no effing idea that happened, and what a what a scary thing that has to be. Yeah, I want to go get a new job, but. <laughs> Alfonso over there and and Muggsy, they, they're not gonna they're not gonna let me leave this job. Wow. What'd you guys think of the episode? It was good. I, I like the show a lot. I I'm surprised now if you go back to the very beginning, the first episode, uh-huh. it seems like the very first scene was like magic getting diagnosed with HIV. Yes, correct. We're we're not gonna touch that at all. Like we're already 30% into the season and we haven't even we don't even have a coach yet. So yeah. I thought maybe it was going to go through the entire, you know, five championships. But there, I would say that the 10th episode is probably beating Philly when in game six of 80 when Magic's a rookie playing center because Kareem's hurt. That that would be, I think, a great way to end it and then, you know, renew the show for uh, another season two, three, whatever it is. But they could, you know, do a flash forward. They, they could, you know, take you through that championship against the Sixers where Magic scores 42 points for the injured uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar playing the center position. And then they could flash forward to, to the AIDS thing. So, But I, 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 I'm falling in love with this show. And if you're a basketball fan, you should really check it out. I hope that, that there is a season, season two, three, four, because there's, uh, there's a boatload of great material there. I read that they're gonna. There was some talk mm-hmm. that they could take. I guess Jeff's got another book about the Kobe, the Kobe Shaq days, right? Which I think we talked about with him when he had him on. Actually, yes. I think there's some talk of making that into a show as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but I I felt bad for Pat Riley, as we alluded to before. I never thought that he sounded feminine in any way, and uh, the portrayal, like like you said via text like there's no way pat could be happy with this episode no i mean but maybe that's the way it really went down maybe he did tear down his garage out of frustration yeah i mean you guys have got to see this there's a scene in here where riley is just frustrated with his post-playing career and he's trying to land a job you know he's 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 just not getting any luck at all he's disheveled he's not doing well and at one point um he goes to do some work in his garage and just out of frustration he tears the whole fucking thing down and apparently he's got a sweetheart or a wife who's a psychiatrist and she comes over and says wow so she sits next to him and says oh so this is what you've been doing all day kind of thing i'm not quoting exactly but yeah he can't he, he can't be happy with with that um and i hope that they do get to a point where we see where we see him on the sidelines because he didn't come in until the year following the Sixers championship, or was it two years later? Then uh, '82, when they won, and he was the coach. Okay. But yeah, I think Westhead was fired during the '81 season. Okay. So I think he takes over then. It'll be interesting. Like, did, if you recall earlier in the episode when Pat was coming in, because early in the episode they wouldn't even let him in the building. But he's finally in the building. He runs into Jerry West, his former teammate, and he's like. Yeah, uh, you can help me put a word in for the job. And Jerry's like, what, for coach? Mm -hmm. And he says it with a tone like, you're not a coach. 
And think about it, Pat Riley. Pat Riley's not a coach. He won five titles with the Lakers. He took the fucking Knicks to the finals. He won a championship with the Heat mm-hmm. as a coach as well. So I, I, unless I'm miscounting, he's won six champions. Oh, five, because the one the Lakers won was with Westhead. So mm-hmm. he's won five championships. He lost to the Sixers. Uh, he lost to the Pistons. He lost to the Celtics once. Mm-hmm. And the Knicks lost to the Rockets. So, okay, so he's lost four and won five. So the, the guy's Tom Brady. Yeah. When it comes, like, with coaching, in the episode, Jerry West was like, you're going to be a coach? No. You know, so I wonder if that really happened. Yeah. And, and they people, look at Pat Riley like, there's no way you could coach. Yeah, and people in in, uh, in the chat are saying, yeah, TV exaggerates stuff, this, this exaggeration. And sure, there is. In fact, they, they make a – uh, uh, they have a huge disclaimer saying, you know, some of the characters are made up for uh, to condense stuff and some of the scenes are changed for dramatic purposes and so forth. So it, it, it's just trying to capture the spirit of the thing. And there's always been a long time debate among film critics and filmmakers, whether when you're adapting something from a book, do you owe it to be faithful to the book? And filmmakers will usually come back and say it's impossible. It's a two different mediums. And, you know, if you were to to basically take a book and, and almost word for word transcribe it and form into a screenplay, it would just be too boring and too long. So um, yeah, Stanley Kubrick proved with The Shining mm-hmm. that you can reimagine a book and make a great film. That's right. And if somebody else wants to take that same book, uh, purchase the rights, they can do their own interpretation of that book. And I totally agree with it. It's, it's a different medium and uh, you got to do what's best for whatever medium. Now, these multi-part series like this one does give you the ability to be more faithful to the book because you've got 10 hours now to um, tell the story in the book, but you still need to make some changes because if you, if you load it up with so many characters, you're just going to forget who the fuck is this guy again? And what, what what's going on here? And this and that, you know, so it's, it's just different. The one thing that I, I, I still question. Mm-hmm. And if we ever get Perlman on again, I would love to, to ask him. I still sort of take umbrage with the interpretation of Kareem. But maybe I'm misguided and I don't know. To me, everything I've ever read or heard about Kareem was that he, especially early on in Magic's tenure, mm-hmm. is that he was withdrawn, he was quiet, he was respectful, and he kind of, it was the smartest guy in the room, so he didn't want to high five and that kind of, he wasn't boisterous right. and gregarious. He was studious and he read books and he, you know, he prayed, and mm-hmm. but he wasn't an asshole. Right. You know, and in the series, they make him look like like a fucking dick so far. And I just maybe Kareem was, but I that's not the Kareem that that I always heard or read about. Yeah. Same here. You know, he in these early episodes, not a lot of screen time, but the few moments that he's had, he is just really uh, a surly condescending and, and condescending guy. And then there's a preview of next week's episode where he's telling magic, you know, to get him, you know, water or, or something like that, talking down to magic. And I, and I think that might hope thing hope might be all exaggerated just to play into that uh, Kareem arc because he goes from being very standoffish. And I had read this, that, you know, he was not a real people type person because he had lived a life where uh, 
people were always gawking at him and, and trying to take advantage of him and using him and so forth. And so he, he was distant. But the one thing, the, the magic of Magic Johnson was is that he really got Jabbar to appreciate giving a guy a hug and, and, uh, and communicating. High fives and winning and being happy. Yeah, so I, I can see that uh, uh, being good, uh, being somewhat real. Um, what else have you guys seen that you like? Because I've got one other one thing that I want to talk about, but I'm, I forgot uh, yeah. how I'm looking it up right now. I, I saw, uh, do you know who Adrian Lyon is? Uh, the director, yes. Yeah, he did a, a Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction. Like I think he did that Lolita movie that you like. Uh, um, yeah, Dan. the remake was much better than the original. Yeah, Adrian Lin that, directed that one too, if I remember correctly. He's got like another one right now on Hulu mm-hmm. that's made for Hulu. Uh, it's kind of like a updated version of Fatal Attraction, but uh, it's... It's uh, a little spin on that kind of, uh, you know, uh, dangerous relationship or marriage or whatever. But uh, it's Ben Affleck and Anna Darmus, a very beautiful Anna Darmus. And uh, Ben Affleck plays a cop. You're going to see the beautiful Ben Affleck. <laughs> That's what I, you know? <laughs> I I can if you'd like, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, uh, ben Affleck plays as cuck. He's like a super... A wealthy guy invented some microchip or whatever. And he's married to this young nymphomaniac who sleeps with everybody. And she gets, she has like a new boyfriend, and he, he's like, it's like burning up, you know. And he, mm-hmm. he ends up like killing all these guys she brings, and like covering up the murders and stuff, and <laughs> unraveling and stuff. It's it's really good. It has quite a good uh, 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 ending, you know. The uh, Adrian line. Uh, twist ending, but uh, I, I, gotta I didn't watch out. it. It was called Deeper Water. It's I think on it's Hulu. Called, on Hulu, it's called Deeper Water. I might check that out. Yeah, I, I was good, man. Staying in yeah. that same water theme, I've got one for you guys. It's on Netflix. So it's called Windfall, and it stars uh, Jason Siegel and Jesse Plemons, who was just an outstanding actor. Uh, and the woman in the movie, you mean Jerry West? Uh, no, not, uh, not Jerry West. Is that who plays Jerry West in the winning time? Oh, Siegel's in the show, but I don't think we've seen him yet. Yeah. No. Jason uh, Jason Siegel. Is that the actor who plays Jerry West? No, that's no, no. He's in the show, but I don't think he plays Jerry. I don't think. I mean, what, what's I'm sorry. What's the coach's name? Adrian Brody. No, no. The, the one who's the coach that quit. Adrian Brody. That's Jerry West that quit, but Jason Siegel's not Jerry West though. Who's the actor that plays? Adrian Brody. No, Adrian Brody plays Pat Riley. Oh, you're right. You're right. The yeah. actor that plays fuck. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's Jason Siegel, isn't it? No, no, no. no. Siegel's in it, but he's not playing. Uh, let me look it up. <laughs> look at it. Up. I'm sorry for yelling. <laughs> um, <laughs> in winning time, Jerry West. Uh, who plays him? Uh, what the fuck is his name? He's been in a lot of shit. He was on a TV show that was filmed here in Chicago for a while. He played a cop. Uh, what the fuck's his name, man? Oh, Lord. Apparently no one in the chat room is going to help us out. <laughs> I'm looking. I got it right here. Hold on. I'm on. Okay. So Jerry West is played by Jason Clark. That's him. Jason Clark. Okay. Sorry. My bad. Yeah. I apologize yeah. again for you. <laughs> Who does he play? I don't think we've seen him yet, but. I was close. 
That's it. All right, let me tell you. Let me tell you about Windfall. Um, Windfall is again with Jason Siegel, who I think everybody remembers from Sarah Marshall film. He's been in a lot of funny films. He's he was on that show. How oh he plays Paul Westhead, by the way. Oh, okay. Uh, Uh, He was in How I Met Your Mother as well, that successful sitcom on CBS. Okay, looking forward to seeing him in that role. Well, he and uh, Jesse Plemons and Lily Collins are the three leads in Windfall. And the premise is is that the character Jason Segel plays is in this really fucking gorgeous mansion out in uh, Southern California. He's there by himself. He's been living there for a while, it appears. And as he is now, as the scene goes on, you start to get the feeling, well, I don't think he really lives here. And so as he's leaving, the real tenants, the real owners of this home, Lily Collins and Jesse Plemons, arrive and find them there. So Jason Siegel immediately takes them hostage. And you can tell he's not a professional criminal by any means. And he's just trying to figure out how to get out of there and uh, 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 without being arrested or anything like that. The complication happens is that Jesse Plemons is a very rich asshole type and jesse immediately thinks that he is a a former employee who was let go on the recent cutbacks and so forth and they start kind of negotiating plemons is not happy going to go along as a hostage and it becomes a very tense situation inside this home it's almost it it feels claustrophobic uh because most of the scenes are inside the house and there's a lot of tension going on between all three characters and we start to learn certain things i won't give it away but if you've got a couple of hours free it's actually you know you need a couple hours it's an hour and a half now what is it on uh, that's on netflix okay do you have netflix uh We do I we do at work. We've got Hulu and, and Netflix and all that shit at work. At at home, I just have regular TV and my mass collection, but <laughs> of uh, DVDs and sports and such. But yeah, I can watch that at work. Cool. And they, do you know who Jesse Plemons is? I do not, but I do know Jason Siegel. Yeah, Jesse Plemons is, is uh, Breaking Bad, right? He uh, no, he wasn't in Breaking Bad. Uh, he was uh, in Friday Night Lights, the TV show. Um, he was in the power of the dog, uh, a movie too. Right. Yeah, it was great. He, he was the, the, he was the brother of Benedict Cumberbatch. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He was in the Irishman, the Scorsese movie, Martin Scorsese. I like the Irishman a lot. Yeah, yes. Martin yeah. Scorsese loves, uh, Jesse Plemons. Um, he, uh, was also in, Black, was in Mass. Black Mass. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I like uh, Black Mass too with Johnny Depp. Yep. So this Jesse Plemons guy, he's, you know, it doesn't seem like he would be much of an actor, but the guy always delivers big time actor and uh, just looks like an everyman guy. uh, guy. He was also in season two, I want to say of Fargo, the TV show, uh, a TV show that I highly recommend on FX. I think I watched season one and Billy Bob was so over the top. I couldn't watch another one. (laughs) Give give the other seasons a a shot, Dan, because I think you'll like them, especially the last season with Chris Rock. Uh, He's a, he plays a badass. Um, uh, But uh, some really good stuff there. I I hope that you guys get a chance to watch some of these things. He wasn't breaking bad. Jesse Plemons. Oh yes, he was. Yes, he was. To bring this full circle is I have to leave. Okay. The first thing we talked about was Manson. Mm-hmm. It's ironic because Manson's best friend's Johnny Depp. 
I know. And Johnny Depp oh, okay. alleging that Amber Heard is a big fucking liar mm -hmm. and is constantly suing her. Mm -hmm. So they're both going through similar situations. Mm -hmm. Not saying that that either is innocent or guilty or what have you, but uh, Manson, like I told you before, the lady that booked his flights and cooked his meals from like 03 to 17 until she finally was like, look, I want to have a family of my own before it's, it's too late. Because mm -hmm. she was in her mid to late 30s when she quit mm -hmm. just to have a normal existence. She claimed that and she's like, oh, God, Amber Heard was so terrible. And she claimed that they were at a party and Johnny brought them over to Manson's house and that Amber Heard's father and mother tried to have a threesome with her Ooh. with his publicist. And she was so, you know, she was like, Johnny's such a great guy. And like, she's just so terrible. And, you know, just drama, 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 24-7, and just incessant lies. So, but she defends Manson, too. So I don't know what it means, but there you go. It's a full circle from the beginning to the end that they are good friends, and, and they're both in similar spots. All right. So let me ask you a question. When you get to work now, you're going to your 911 job. What's the first until thing? Until 4 p.m. Until 4 p.m. Unbelievable. Uh, and that's Eastern time. Um, yeah, midnight to 4. Wow. What what do you do when you first get there? You know, um, do you drink coffee? Do you? I don't like coffee. I have to assess what's going on because I'm the supervisor too oh, okay. with the other shift, and you kind of just have that shift change, and you all just sort of talk about, oh, what have you done the last few days? You know, because I I've, this will be my first day back, and mm -hmm. and they'll tell me about some shit that I missed while I was gone. Like, oh, you won't believe how fucking awful this call was, that kind of thing. And oh, shit. usually it's about an hour of talking. Mm -hmm. And then uh, unless, you know, the the job is already bumping and you, you, you just, you're busy. And then, you know, that's when things will slow down and maybe you can watch TV or read or whatever. Of course, you have to stop whenever whenever the calls are coming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you hold, please? I'm in the middle of the conclusion of this. I'm in the middle of a good book. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you, by the way, did you see that Jake Gyllenhaal movie where he plays a 911 yeah. operator? Yeah, what'd you think? It was much better than the Halle Berry one, which was laughable. Mm -hmm. But the Gyllenhaal one, he couldn't use that language and shit toward the callers. Yeah, there was a lot of un, uh, uh, stuff that was unbelievable, implausible. But uh, I thought it was a, from a, a suspension uh, suspense standpoint, it was pretty good. The one thing I will say, and he is playing a policeman, and I'm not anti-police. So I don't want this construed. Mm -hmm. One of my best friends is the police officer. Uh, but they are allowed to say and talk to anybody the way they want to. Mm -hmm. And there's always a few people, because again, I worked at a PD for three years mm -hmm. and I deal with them now at 911. Mm -hmm. There's always a few officers that it doesn't matter if it's your grandmother, mm -hmm. if it's your 14 year old niece, mm -hmm. or if it's a heroin addict who's been arrested 35 times, mm -hmm. they talk shit to everybody and will call, you know, like I said, grandmother's whores and that the, they are allowed to talk the way they want to talk without any retribution whatsoever. Wow. So the fact that Gyllenhaal was a policeman on there, mm -hmm. maybe that would be, that's the way they talk to people is what I'm saying. Yeah. They are allowed to say whatever they want. Yeah, that's an interesting point. PJ wants to know uh, how many calls for service do you guys get on a typical shift? Uh, well, again, you're, there's two different things there. Like, it, does the call require you to make a record of it? That's what we would call an incident, or maybe you'd call it a report or mm -hmm. a documentation of the call, mm -hmm. or it could just be 
a grudge call, you know, someone gets passed on the interstate, my dick's small, so that, that ain't happening to me. Mm-hmm. They all, you know, I'll call in and say that uh, this person's driving 150 and they're erratic and they're drunk. Mm-hmm. That shit happens constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the grudge call. So it's your job to filter through that shit. Mm-hmm. So how many calls you take versus how many documented like incidents, that, that number ratio, I can't, I don't know. But on a midnight, we can range from as less as low as like 10 to as many as 40 or 50. It just depends on the night. Like evening shift, you can have well over a hundred mm-hmm. morning shift uh, are about the same. Cause especially there's so many EMS calls mm-hmm. uh, during the morning, which I think that's what I'm dispatching on this overtime shift. It, it's dreadful. Mm. Uh, just the EMS calls just, just over and over. And what over, do you, you, what know? do you say when you uh, answer the phone? Um, if you're calling 911, what's your emergency? I know. I see a lot of people will say like 911, where's your emergency? I don't want to give you an opportunity to be frustrated with me. Mm-hmm. I feel like I say 911 and I let you talk. Oh, okay. So you can spit out because you're always going to tell me shit that I don't need at first. Right. You know, like because you're upset. Like this guy, you know, my my got my job then is to kind of interrupt and put you on course to like let me get the info I need. Mm-hmm. But I want you to think I'm letting you vent. Mm-hmm. So I just say 911 and let you roll this way. And if you call the non-emergency line, I'll say just, you know, Mercer Control, because they call us control on the radio instead of dispatch. Mm-hmm. So I'll just say Mercer Control. But usually at the non-emergency line, that might be a policeman calling or somebody that you work with or or whatever. It's not necessarily a lot of alarm calls. Oh my God. And and if you ever if you have an alarm company, whether it be ADT or whatever, to make sure they have your info because this is so fucking true. And I got to go, but they'll call in and be like, yeah, we're getting a medical alarm at this address. So I'll be like, oh, okay. Well, um, how old's the patient? Ah, I don't know. What's the patient's gender? I don't know. Do you have the patient's name? No. Jesus. Like, what are you taking their fucking money? You have nothing but their address? Unbelievable. And that is not an aberration. Oh. Like I said, I have been there since 2009. Mm-hmm. These alarm companies don't care. They just cash your check. And that's the thing, too. They call us before they call to check on you. Mm-hmm. So if your alarm's going off and it's like a panic alarm and there's real shit going down at your house, they don't call it. Even if it's a false alarm, it would make sense to Mr. Gandhi. Are you OK? Do you need the police? Right. right. They call us first. Yeah. Hey, real so, quick before you go, because yeah. I, I know you could talk for another 30 minutes on this, but I sent you a video today about a fan at a basketball game. Doing oh, something. the dick thing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I got to ask you, would you do this if they said, hey, we're going to fly you to Chicago for every game, and but during the, during the game, you have got to make this motion where you're taking some fictitious dick and, and pretending you're sucking it, and we're going to put you on TV in exchange, uh, the Bears go to the Super Bowl. What Would you do it? Oh, for the Super Bowl? Yeah. Yeah, yes. If it meant we were going to win. <laughs> You're a true Bears If we're fan. going back to Miami to lose again, then no. <laughs> You're a true Bears fan. I love you. Go save some right. lives, and we'll talk to you, man. All right, you all be well now. Thank you. All Good right. night, Danny. He Good night, is sir. Danny Guire, the one and only. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, I wouldn't do that. I don't give a fuck. It's Super Bowl. I, if they said, hey, a dynasty, we'll give you five what strikes. the heck? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is that? The go- it looks like a Golden State Warriors. No, 
And apparently it's 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 a growing trend. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get that at all. <laughs> I'm not a homophobe by any means, but I don't want to be doing that. No way. There's another way for us to win. It's by going, yay! <laughs> I'm sure my company would fire me if they came, <laughs> came to light. Oh, man. All right, uh, Mr. Uh, Johnny Santu, have yeah. you seen anything else uh, on the tube that you'd like to share with people, whether it's a movie or a well, I finished uh, uh, Euphoria season two, and I really enjoyed it, man. I was like, it's got some, it's got a style that's kind of like uh, uh, semi-retro, mm-hmm. you know, as far as like the gritty camera and stuff and the, and the graphics and transitions and credits and stuff where it kind of reminds me of like... Uh, you know, maybe like Tarantino's type of style, you know, but uh, Euphoria season two was really great, man. It was, it was, it was excellent. Yeah. I'm going to have to do a binge on that. Uh, The problem is, is my wife doesn't want to see it. So I have to find some time when I'm alone to, to, to do a binge. Uh, Yeah, that's good. uh, We, uh, we watched that morning show together and we were really blown away. By the end of it, I was in tears, man. It was a very emotional ending. It's very, very powerful. The, the one thing uh, about that free trial didn't allow us to uh, access anything that's in season two. So I saw, I, I did the binge on the morning show for season one. I also did a binge on Ted Lasso, which I had not seen before. That was awesome. Yeah. Great show. I got to tell Could you. Could you just do season one or? I, I did uh, season one. Right. Cause I, okay. uh, well, season two was off. even better. Okay. Uh, that's what I'm hoping for, because yeah. I got to tell you, Season one was okay. It wasn't as great. I kept reading yeah, all these social it media. Okay. It, it got better, uh, yeah. particularly the last five episodes. The first five, I was kind of struggling with it. Man, should I continue to watch this? And I said, well, you know, l- let me continue. And uh, by the, those last few episodes, I, w- I was in. And so I'm really looking forward to watching season two. Yeah, I mean, Apple TV is totally worth it. They have some great shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ted Lasso is probably one of their best shows. Uh, I love Jason Sudeikis' performance and like all these like Dust Bowl folk yeah. wisdom that he comes up with, you know, during mm-hmm. the show. And then he, he like mixes in some pop culture references and stuff. And <laughs> yeah. like, I, I remember I tweeted something out about how there was one episode I, I was like, uh, Coach, uh, his assistant coach, uh, I forget the guy's name, but he's uh, he's a very deadpan delivery. Yeah, very deadpan. Yeah. And uh, I, the episode was like a, an episode that was centered on his character, the assistant coach. Oh, cool. And he has this like he's got like a, a he's in sort of like a, an abusive relationship in season two. Not really abusive, but just a troubling, troublesome relationship of, you know, with his girlfriend. They're, they mm-hmm. like they have a, 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 you know, a volatile relationship. And uh, on the Total night when weird. he. Coach Beard is this character. Coach Beard, yeah, Coach Beard. Coach Beard is hilarious too. And uh, the, uh, he he uh, he goes out on this night out. He's trying to like maybe break up with her finally, you know. And he gets in all sorts of trouble. It's kind of like that After Hours movie by Martin Scorsese with Griffin Dunn, where you know he has this like night out on the town that all these like calamitous events happen. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's kind of it was like a takeoff on that, where all these bad things happen to. Coach Beard, and the night he's like, he wants to tell his girlfriend he loves her, and he, you know, he wants to break up. He doesn't know, but he ends up like wearing this like disco pants outfit by accident because his other, his, uh, his other clothes they have to like dress up to get into the. 
they like sneak into this gentleman's club in England, you know, it's like mm-hmm. howdy toddy. They were they wearing these hilarious like costumes from the bar that they hang out with. Him and the and the those three fans that are always at the bar, uh-huh. fans of Richmond Football Club and stuff. <laughs> and I tweeted out something about how brilliant I thought the show was, and Jason Sudeikin re- Jason Sudeikis retweeted me. It was awesome. Oh, how cool! <laughs> like, yeah, that was like a hundred thousand views of my tweets. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, that was uh, that was one in season two. You get to see it was it's a brilliant episode, man. It's so mm-hmm. funny. Yeah, and I gotta tell you, the entire cast is really, really fucking yeah. great. In Ted Lasso, yeah. the woman who plays the Juno owner, Temple. Oh, uh, no, uh, uh, Rebecca. She plays the owner Rebecca, of Team right. Hannah Waddingham. Yeah, well, I, I find her gorgeous. You know, yeah. uh, probably a woman in her late forties, maybe early fifties. She actually was very in, tall. Yeah, very tall, very muscular, very, very shaped. Her arms, man, she's got beautifully yeah. sculptured arms, and. She yeah. uh, she was in Game of Thrones. She was the woman who uh, would uh, lead the shame, shame. Yes. Yeah. That was her. I was like, holy yeah. shit, you know. Uh, she looks gorgeous in that show. And then uh, Juno Temple, who who, who right. uh, has an excellent role in it, a very kind of uh, smart woman who sort of is a groupie. Keely. Uh, I'm sorry. Keely. Keely. The character's name is Keely. Oh, okay. Keely yeah. Jones. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And so she, um, she just gives out such great advice. She's a, a just a, a great, great character on that show. She's the sex pot. Yeah, sex pot, man. And she is hot, too. Yeah. Um, and then the, the older uh, player. player Roy, uh, Roy Kent. He's my Roy, spirit animal. Yeah, he's great. He's the always player. angry. He's like, Arr. Yeah, he's he's one of the co-founders, uh, yeah. co-creators of the show, Brett Goldstein. Uh, yep. he's, he's excellent in it. And yeah, it's just there's some there's some really there's some nice depth to it and i agree with michael Diaz. He says it's kind of a an 80s rom-com-ish feel to it uh the but tall it's a, boy it's a, who became the, the assistant coach too the nate yeah, the, yeah. The indian guy yeah he's great too he is great man yeah. that one scene where he gets his promotion is is fantastic yeah. man and then uh uh the like the the player personnel guy who's more like just the nerdy accountant. He's funny <laughs> yeah. as hell too, man. Yeah, what's his name in the show? I, I can't remember. It's like, uh, Higgins, Higgins. Higgins, Higgins. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Crystal Fernandez plays Danny Rojas. He comes in and he just gives it gives the show some energy. But you're right about Jason Sudeikis. Uh, here's a guy who, you know, I always thought he, he, I would put him in my top 10 of all time Saturday Night Live performers. The guy always delivered funny. Yep. He's an excellent physical comedian, too, the way he dances and stuff. Yeah. He's really good. Um, I've seen some of his movies. Um, oh, he did a movie with uh, Jennifer Aniston, uh, where Jennifer Aniston played a real bitch. Yeah. And, and I the, forget the, the title. Here come, meet, here come the Millers or Meet the Millers. The Millers. Meet- the Millers. See, that was a different one. The one that I'm that thinking was, about. But that was wasn't a good that him, him with Jennifer Aniston. They yes, were hot dealers or something. Exactly. Right. They, they are uh, in the life of crime, and they're playing yeah. a, a family together, and uh, they go uh, to, to collect some uh, marijuana. Uh, they're forced to, uh, <laughs> not by their free will. It's a very dangerous affair, but that that's a good one. But there was another one that he played with Justin Bateman and uh, Jennifer 
Aniston. She didn't play a bitch. She played a very sexually aggressive woman who just, you know, will tell you, I'm going to fuck you. And, uh, and she always got her way. I she forgot the beautiful, name of it. man. She's she like is. my age. Yeah, she's she's a phenomenal. She's actor. like a few few months younger than me or something. <laughs> yeah. that's that's fifty three years old, fifty two years old, man. Mm -hmm. She's fucking hot. Yeah, and and when you see her in the morning show, you're gonna say, "Wow, this is a great performance by her," because you're just so familiar with her uh, romantic comedy stuff and her the TV yeah. sitcom work. She's done some dramatic roles too, but in in the morning show. She plays a very, very complex character who sometimes shows great emotion, great empathy, and then sometimes it's just a fucking bitch. Uh, and uh, uh, Horrible Bosses. Thank you, Joe. Horrible that bosses. is the movie. <laughs> that is indeed the movie. Horrible Bosses. And Retro got that right. Hey, I had a meeting with that Retro today. What a great guy you are, Retro. Um, got some great ideas and st some stuff that we're looking forward to. Uh, Wasn't there? Tomorrow. Didn't she do a movie where... Uh... It was, there was like a, the the Christmas party or something like that with PJ Miller. Yeah, uh, she's like his brother. He's always fucking up. Yeah, <laughs> I did not that, see that, but I'm aware of that. And my wife that was, was really me, funny. Well, my wife was telling me about one of her favorite movies of Jennifer Aniston, where she she play she's in in love with uh, what's uh, Vince Vaughn, and uh, they go through a breakup because he's kind of immature and so forth. And I've never seen it, but I saw a few scenes, and and she was she appeared to be really really good in that uh, movie too. So yeah, she's she's fantastic. Switch is that the movie you're referring to? Uh, mine, mine. I thought it was called the Christmas Party, mm -hmm. the office, the office party, the office party, or the Christmas. Yeah, party. yeah, right. I think it was the Christmas Party. I think yeah, it was something like that. The office party or the Christmas party with like Jennifer Aniston and PJ Miller was like her no good brother. Or yeah. never do well, brother. And yeah, I, she's hotter that she's older now. Yeah, and, and my wife asked me, "Do you think that she's hot?" And I, I said, "You know, I, I've never put her up in that top tier of hotness, but there were a couple of times where she she was in that top tier." I'll give you an example: the movie she did with, um, uh, oh well, gosh, what's the what's the guy's name? Um, uh, he plays the guitar. He's been in a lot of romantic comedy movies. Um, was on Saturday Night Live. Adam, uh, Adam Sandler. Yes, Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler, Sandler plays a successful dentist, and Jennifer Aniston plays his assistant. And uh, he needs uh, Jennifer Aniston to play his ex-wife and the mother of his children, which he has neither of. He doesn't have children, and he okay. doesn't have an ex-wife. But he's trying to woo over over a. Uh, a, a Gosh, I wish I could remember the, the, these characters and actors' name. A gorgeous blonde. He's trying to woo her over, and so they're down in uh, vacationing in Mexico, and so forth. And so Jennifer Aniston is running around in a bikini, and oh my God, her body is just like you said earlier, uh, to you know, for a woman her age, really yeah. any age, she's got a phenomenal, phenomenal body, and just is, yeah. is so sexy. Yeah, the break about. The thing about uh, Jennifer Aniston is that not only she's beautiful, but she's cute. Mm -hmm. You know, you could call her cute because she does have that kind of cute, perky. You know, uh, uh, she's funny. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. uh, and she and she's beautiful. You know, she's like she could be all of those things. You know, which which makes her very appealing. Um, Je uh, Michael Diaz says the one that with Vince Vaughn is yeah, the breakup. Vince 
is the breakup filmed in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. yeah there was some scenes uh, shot at the United Center, I think, at a, at a hockey game. Uh, Vince Vaughn is a big hockey fan. Just go with it, PJ says, is the title of the movie that I was thinking with Sandler and Jennifer Aniston. Uh, yes, okay. that is indeed it, and I highly recommend I haven't it. haven't seen that. It's very, very good. It's a, it's a great watch, great scenes. Mike Pat, Michael, Mike Patrick, is it Mike? Well, Dan Patrick, Dan Patrick is in it. Um, Dan and the Danettes are in it, and you know, uh, Dan Patrick has been in a few Adam Sandler movies. I guess they're okay. good friends, and and Sandler always finds a role for him. They did one recently on Netflix where there was like an Italian murder mystery where they were on a cruise ship or not cruise ship, uh, a yeah, yacht. I, I forget the yeah. name of that one. Did you see it? Was it? Good? Yeah, it was really funny. Uh huh. Yeah, I gotta check that out. Yeah. Um, how, let's see. Uh, Cliff is asking, how did this go from bears to TV? It always goes from bears to TV. <laughs> Typically, the way we do the show, Cliff, is uh, we usually end up with talking um, uh, TV and movies for the last uh, 30 minutes, and then we also get some betting advice from Johnny's on Goon. Oh, yeah. So how has the uh, betting going? You been winning any money? Well, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I had a huge Sunday just uh, betting – uh, uh, Houston first half and Houston full game, which mm -hmm. I think I sent those to you too. I sent yes, my card did. that day. My over the weekend I was uh 15, 8, and 2. So nice. set, seven units. So that was that's pr pr for the for as hard as the NCAA tournament has been this year, that's pretty damn good. Fucking uh, hey. And then uh, uh tonight, man, I had a had a decent night tonight with uh Middle Tennessee State and then Vanderbilt first half and Vanderbilt plus the points full game. So mm -hmm. I was like, you know, Scotty Pippen at that. I was like, I'm gonna lose the first half, and Scotty Pippen's kid hits a three pointer right with, with like one second left. To, Amazing to, co to cover the to cover that spread and the mm -hmm. you know in the beginning. They, you know, I played money line first half too because Xavier was one and twelve their last 13 first halves against the spread. I'm like, all right, they start slow. You know, I'm taking I'll you know put money on Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. And they got the best player on the floor and, and Scotty's kid. So I got a pretty good chance of winning that bet as that one came through. But uh, I like uh, Miami. Uh, well, Sunday also had the Houston versus Illinois first half full game. And then Iowa State versus Wisconsin Badgers. That was the under first half and the under full game. There's only 103 points scored in the whole game. It was all defense. Mm. Wow. That hit really, that was big too. And then, I played uh, Purdue uh, minus three versus Texas, so I was, my top five bets all hit on Sunday. So it was a good, good Sunday. Now there's, no, you know, there's nothing going. On. We got the Sweet Sixteen starts Thursday. You know, mm -hmm. some great uh, matchups. And before I was like, oh, Kentucky's going to kill St. Peter's, and St. Peter's mm -hmm. has won two games. They're in the Sweet Sixteen, a tiny little school of 3,800 students. You know, that's like in Jersey City. You uh -huh. know, with a, a great coach. Uh, who'll probably be the head coach at Seton Hall next year? Just, uh, 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 just a uh, great. They play. They they took down Kentucky. I don't know if Aaron Current's still in the chat room, but it's probably too soon for him. Yeah, but, he's uh, in bed right now. <laughs> he's in bed now. It's like uh, he'd be pissed if I brought it up. Oh and yeah. Then, and then they beat Murray State, a team that was thirty-one and two this season. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, uh, just you know, that's crazy. It's a, a, a good story. That's the Cinderella for this tournament. Mm -hmm. St. Peter's Peacocks. And then, uh, you know, you've got Gonzaga, Duke, Kansas, North Carolina, Arkansas, uh, um, uh, UCLA. All the big schools are still Texas Tech. Those are still uh, uh, 
good. And then you got smaller schools like Iowa State is had an upset last week. They made it to Sweet 16 and Miami Hurricanes. Well, I like the Hurricanes in this one. I mean, Ohio State has had, I mean, Iowa State has had a pretty good run. Mm-hmm. They can't score. Miami has got these really dynamic little guards that are super fast. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think Miami will be able to, you know, outscore Iowa State. I don't know. I don't think it's just not the right style for Iowa State to stop and play the defense like they did in that last game. But All right, that's the late game on uh, Friday. On uh, Friday, yep. So I had to put my bet in on Miami because the line just moved so much. Iowa State was the favorite, and then it moved to Miami being the favorite. But I was able to get my bet in earlier. Uh, someone asked me for CBI uh, um, picks, so that would yeah. be what tomorrow basketball classic. Uh, I'd have to look at the schedule, but uh, you look at the schedule. And meanwhile, just on a, a, I'm not a professional gambler, so please do not take my advice here. But just for kicks, I want to give you my picks for the four Thursday night games. Gonzaga, yeah. number one, Gonzaga at number four, Arkansas. Definitely, yep. Gonzaga is going to win that game. I think uh, so. Number two, Villanova versus number eleven, Michigan. I'm picking the upset here. Michigan is wow. going to win that game. You, you know why? Just because I'm tired. I'm tired of the uh, – you know, I, I am down with criticizing Big Ten football because they never yeah. do good in, 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 in bowl games. But in the tournament, the Big Ten usually holds its own against the big conferences. Now, Villanova has had an outstanding season this yeah. year, but I think Michigan is going to – it's just going to upset people. I was listening to this guy uh, – what's his name? Uh, Dan Daniel Perriman. He used to be on the Dan Patrick show, and now he's got a show – on CBS, uh, the Maggie and Perloff show, it's called. And he was downgrading Michigan and all the other Big Ten schools, saying Duke and North Carolina mm-hmm. are so much more famous than them. Michigan shouldn't yeah. be considered. And she was disagreeing, saying Michigan has had a huge impact on culture in the United States. They should be regarded like Duke and, and North Carolina. And agree yeah, with I agree. Yeah, if you agree with her or not, but I, I just didn't like the way Pearl Pearl off was, you know, he's got this East Coast mentality about stuff. And sure. uh, when I used to listen to him on the Dan Patrick show, he was the same way. And then uh, the third game, number two, Duke versus number three, Texas Tech. This is, of course, in my opinion, is the game of the this uh, Thursday, Friday's uh, yeah, yeah. matchups. I'm going to pick Texas Tech to uh, end uh, Mike K, uh, the Coach K's career. And then the last it. one, Arizona at Houston. I've got Arizona beating Houston. So uh, take that for what it's worth, and it's not worth much, people. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Arizona is, you know, they're, they're huge. They have a ton of size. They have great athletes. Houston has a fucking amazing coach, Kelvin Sampson, who I believe played in the NBA. Uh, Dan Aguirre could tell you as well. But uh, Houston is probably one of the te- – Houston and Texas Tech, probably the two top defenses in, in college basketball. Uh, Houston will beat you up too. They, they, they crash the boards. They have, they're not as big as Arizona. They're smaller guys. But, man, they have some star uh, shooters uh, like Jamal Shedd. And uh, uh, Arizona's point guard, Chris Creasy, he's uh, got an ankle injury. Don't know whether he'll uh, he'll play Gonzo. <laughs> I'm a check's in the mail, Gonzo. I wrote two just a hand. Oh, and I agree with uh, Gonzo. He certainly is. Uh, <laughs> look, at, look at that close up. This is this is Robert De Niro. I'm ready for my close up, sir. <laughs> 
So uh, I'm sorry. Uh, so uh, this kind of uh, we don't know whether Chris Creasy's going to play for Arizona. Uh, uh, and, and you know, Arizona has kind of like first half of games they've kind of started slow. You know, and then they've had to come. They almost lost to TCU. They got lucky, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know, TCU ended up losing that game. The end of the game. But Michigan is a team that has a ton of talent. They uh, uh, they are uh, uh, underperformed the first part of the season. Now they like w- woke up, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, for this uh, uh, part. They, they woke up for the NCAA tournament of showing about how people thought they would play, you know, before the season started. Um, so that will be a, a really good game as well. Um, Kansas and Providence. You know, Providence just has this luck. They horseshoe up their ass. They're just, you know. Uh, keeping games close and then stealing them at the very end. They're also very well coached. Amazing. Um, uh, North Carolina uh, just had a big upset win. They beat last year's champion, the Baylor, mm-hmm. uh, uh, took an early exit, didn't make it to the Sweet 16. North Carolina plays uh, uh, doesn't play a lot of defense. They, they can score. They're long and, and uh, fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, Texas Tech, Gonzaga. Gonzaga, to me, is kind of soft. You know, uh, they're efficient defensively, but man, like guys like Holmgren and, and Timmy, you know, they're not the best post defenders. And Texas Tech will beat you up, and they they have some size too. They don't have a great offense like Gonzaga does either. So that'll be a really good game. Um, for me, it's like sad. I, I'm not really good at uh, other sports. College basketball seems to be the best at handicapping and figuring out who's going to. Win, or what the best bet is maybe not who's going to win or whatever but what the best right angle for the for the better than nfl but i don't recommend gambling on the nba it's just i'm not sure it isn't fixed but you know you never know who's going to be playing and like the other night i think it was the nuggets the nuggets played you know the first half then the second half they started their bench you know so the bench you know the bench played the second half of the game there's no way you can handicap that you know or you know how are you supposed that's to crazy that's yeah. crazy yeah so, and, and you know what i if if the nba is going to be um pursuing sponsors for uh, you know betting sponsors they, they got to yeah. stop this shit they got to figure out a way to stop this shit and i yeah. and i think that the nba season is is become a little bit the 82 game season with the long playoffs I think it's become a little too stressful on some of these players. Now people will say, yeah, but you know, it, it's, it, it used to be worse, you know, uh, with the traveling and, and stuff, it, so many great accommodations for these players. But, but I, I just, I can't, um, I just think that if you're going to play 82 games, you need to spread out. You can't have these back-to-back games, uh, people getting on a plane yeah, and yeah. playing the next night and so forth. It's just bad for the quality of play. It's bad for the player's health, and uh, and it's bad for gamblers. We need to see who is going to be playing before we lay down a bet. And we should have yeah, some, yeah. you know, it should be like the NFL. The NFL, you know, for all of his faults, is probably – uh, outside of college basketball, probably the most friendly towards betters by letting you know yep. throughout the week who was on the injured list. Uh, so, so that uh, that frustrates me that the NBA has become a, a league that placing a bet is is like doing it blind blindfolded. It's it's not good, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm sad when college basketball is over because that's where I make most of my money. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the uh, the season uh, next year, I'll tell you, Craig. I'm going to make a lot of money on Creighton next year because they are super talented. Mm-hmm. You know, they lost their two best players. They almost beat Kansas 
the other day without their two best players, their center and their point guard. Mm-hmm. Still, they a lot of talent. Um, I think they'll be a pretty good bet next year. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, UCLA looks pretty good this year. I wouldn't sleep on them, man. They're starting to put it all together. They've been injured, you know, with Jacquez and Juzang. You know, Johnny Juzang, good shooter. And, you know, probably one of the best shot creators in, in the NCAA. Uh, and then, you know, of course, uh, Arkansas, you mentioned before, J.D. Note is another guy that's probably going to be in the NBA. Very good at getting to the hoop, you know. Uh, that's the thing, and they don't shoot. I mean, Arkansas gets to the line a lot. That'll be the, the, the thing, you know, that might be the difference between them and Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. You know, Gonzaga has got a ton of talent. You know, like Jew Timmy is, you know, a great scorer, you know, down in the post. Mm-hmm. You know, right hand, left hand in the post. He's uh, really good. And then uh, Purdue has uh, taken on St. Peter's. So I'm, I don't trust Purdue. Their defense sucks. Hmm. They have they have one. They have that half Chinese kid that's you know like seven foot four, which is like Yao Ming. You know Zach Eady. Yeah. And then they have Jamal Williams is a big power forward. He's and and uh, Jay Ivy. They got three stars. Mm-hmm. How much do I spend on gambling a week, guy? I don't know. I gamble on college basketball every day, probably 10 games, five to 10 games, you know, and then five, uh, to, 10, five to 10 bucks a game, you would say? No, I probably, uh, my, my bankroll is big now that that's toward the end of the season. So I probably bet 25 to 100 a game now cool. on, uh, on uh, uh, college basketball. But beginning of the season, I start out five or $10 a game. So, mm-hmm. so. by the way, we need to address this uh, Cliff. Where is it, Cliff? I should have put a little star behind it. Cliff is having dinner to- tomorrow night with his wife and a friend. And I'm assuming that this friend is a woman. And he wants uh, some advice. And so I'm, I'm assuming that <laughs> that's what he's trying to get to. Now, Cliff, by his own admission, has had some uh, – some uh, uh, some fun times in his past uh, that he is rated R-rated, which is good. But we want to get to that X-rated stuff, Cliff. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's my advice. First of all, I need to find out, would your wife be down for a threesome? Because if then that's half the battle right there, right? If your wife is like... <laughs> He's like, didn't mean to make the podcast. Sorry, but you did. <laughs> I, know you got, I know you got a family, so I, I won't I won't refer to you by your name anymore, Cliff. Oh, excuse me, uh, Bill. <laughs> um, so here's the thing. If your spouse, I, I'll say this to anyone out, out there listening. If your spouse is down to, you know, have a little bit of fun with somebody else, and um, what you now need to do is try to convince the other person, right? So you do mirroring, you know, so during dinner, you watch the hand movements of the person you're trying to seduce and enter into this threesome. And so you start to mirror those movements. What that does is starts to create some type of connection. When you sit down, when you see her cross her legs, you also cross your legs. And when you see that person uh, using hand uh, movements, you start to mirror those same hand movements when you talk. And then the killer is that at a certain point, once you start getting the vibe that, man, she, she's really looking at me and paying attention to everything that I'm saying and really sucking it all in, so to speak, then 
you uncross your legs and you sit wide open in that V position and you let them, that's the opening. That's the invitation. And if you get back a, 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 a signal that, yeah, a little smile, you know, a little, you know, look at the eye and so forth. That's when you get up and you sit a little closer and the rest is history, brother. <laughs> I just made all that up, by the way. <laughs> PJ, I think, it understood that. <laughs> I was making that up. Cliff is saying that he's gonna, I could take a pill. <laughs> Don't do a Bill Cosby, whatever you do. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, my wife is definitely not going to play along with that, and so I might yep. edit that out of the show. No, I'm not kidding. I'm kidding. She doesn't listen to the show anymore. She used to what? at first just to kind of police what I was saying, and then uh, she found it all too boring and said, okay, uh, you could say whatever you want. Just don't talk about me. Uh, Cliff says, although I have been there and done that, but thanks for the advice. <laughs> Man, right. We're going to have to have Cliff on Good the show. Cliff. Yeah. Protect his identity. We'll like are, those the, are those the two ladies he's having dinner with? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Is there room for a tooch in there? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's pull the plug on this one, too. All right. Uh, let people know. I, where I got one go. last question for you before I go. I was like, Bears have two second round picks. That's right. Would uh would would like it be a would you be against like drafting a safety? No, absolutely not. They're, yeah, neither would I. Well, There's I'm, some I'm, good ones, man, in this draft. Yes, indeed. On last yeah. Thursday's uh draft on tap show, there was a 20-minute debate between Danny Shimon and Neil Stopchinski over the value of a safety. Yeah. I'm I'm a little bit more on Neil's point of view here that safeties are, are more and more necessary than ever before because yep. you need them to be so versatile, play in the box, play yep. the, 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 the uh, cover the, the slot. Exactly. You need them to do so much. And, and so many uh, times the Bears have overlooked safeties and the importance yeah. of safeties. I, I, overall, defensive backs, the value of defensive box, backs have increased dramatically. But the, that safety role, if you can find a good safety who has that versatility, absolutely grab him in that second round. There, and like you said, yeah. there are some really good ones. And We're not in range for Kyle Hamilton, but man. No. <laughs> yeah, he would be nice. That, <laughs> he's like a unicorn, you know, 6'4", 220. It's just like, <laughs> man. <laughs> him in the back, roaming the, the defensive backfield of the Bears, oh, man. Mm, yeah. Man, it would, would be nice if they could find a taker for Eddie Jackson and at least maybe get yeah. a fourth-round pick for him, uh, fifth round uh, I'd take, and then uh, you'd have to now draft two safeties, but maybe the, the draft capital gets you there. And there are still – you know, usually uh, uh, NFL free agency, the last position that has a lot of good available players – is the safety position. And uh, for some reason, again, NFL teams don't sign uh, safeties at the at, at, at early on. They, they wait for that second and third wave. Uh, Honey Badger is available, like uh, Gonzo saying, Cliff is saying, yeah, a lot yeah. of people have been saying throughout this show. Uh, he's a playmaker, man. I know uh, some people are like, oh, he ain't that good. Mm-hmm. He, he makes plays. He does, man. There. He makes plays. Yeah, he makes plays, and he's yeah. got his head screwed on right. When he came out of college, I was a little worried. You know, this guy a little too reckless with his behavior and stuff. I don't know for sure if he was back then, but I know for sure now. This guy, what he wants most of all is to be a winner, and uh, he would be a good fit, Cliff, when you say that. Um, so, um, 
So I, I, I'm for it. Any other uh, questions that you had, or, or is that it? Uh, me? Questions? Yes, yes sir. Uh, no, I think we're good. Although, pull the plug. Uh, I got yeah, just you. Are you yeah. going to watch the uh, premiere episode of South Burbs Hitman Monday night at 8 p.m. Central? It is all about the White Sox with Joe Mandel, Chris Gonzalez, yeah. Vinny Parisi, and Ryan Zim Zimmerman. Outstanding show. They always have great guests. Uh, I think I don't think they're going to have a guest on this first show. Steve, I, think I was like, is his name Ryan or Stephen? Did I say? Did I say? Stephen? <laughs> Ryan, Stephen, isn't it? Yeah, I it is Stephen. Okay. I thought it was Stephen. Well, I was like, well, <laughs> I had to think. I thought his name was Ryan too for a second there. Not the first time I've said Ryan Zimmerman. I don't know why. Um, I, I will drop in. I usually drop in there and make fun of those guys. And you, know, you should. Leave. You should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, jo- the return of Joe Mandel to the airwaves. This is yeah exciting, man. I'm gonna, right. I'll probably pour a drink too for that. And everybody should know this, that um, Joe is a dad now. Yeah. yeah. Let me go full screen here. All and right. Yeah. Got a beautiful girl. Yeah, look at that. Beautiful wife. Uh, what a beautiful uh, couple and beautiful oh family. Just can't get any better than that. Yeah, and, cute, cute. Um, yeah, you've got uh, three of those. Yep. Three kids, two two girls and a boy. There you go. And your son now is what, 19 or 20? He's uh, 23 now. Yep. 23, man, how the years go by. Woo-hoo. Yeah. And your yep. girls what age? They'll be f- uh, four and six mm-hmm. this year, this summer. Four and six. Great age. Yeah. We are, uh, we're leaving for uh, a Harry Potter world a week from tomorrow. Oh, we'll be, uh, baby. Yeah, we'll be in uh, Florida. Uh, and uh, right after that, Siesta Key for six days on the beach. Nice, Sarasota, Florida. Yep. Have you ever seen that show, Siesta Key? It's on MTV or something like that. My daughter. No, it, it's beautiful there, though. Yeah, my stepdaughter and and and, and wife watch that religiously. Uh, all those rich people down there worried about boyfriends wow. breaking up and girlfriends. <laughs> stuff. Foster's asking me, "What is the meaning of life?" It's very, very simple. Yeah, it's surviving. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Really? I mean, everybody says love and this and no, it's staying healthy it and trying to yep. live as long as you can. That's the meaning of life. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that very same thing today. It's just surviving. Yeah, really. You know? I mean, I think, you know, I'm sure people will have better answers than me on that. Uh, by the way, Cliff lives in San I'm going to drop in and see old Cliff. You Take, go. Want to go to the beach with my toddlers, Cliff? <laughs> <laughs> They're great kids. <laughs> We're going to hunt for some seashells. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sarasota is pretty, man. I've never been to that uh, side of Florida. We usually go to the to the Atlantic side just because March, mm-hmm. usually the Atlantic's a little bit warmer than the Gulf. That's right. Uh, but uh, April, you could get probably, you know, evens out a little bit there. But the beaches are supposed to be nicer on that uh on that side, the Siesta Key, Lido Key, you know, all those beaches, Clearwater Beach. Mm-hmm. But I uh, haven't been down there yet. But, uh, you well, know, have, have, have a great time. Send us a lot of pictures. And I want to yeah. remind people to follow the Tooch on the Twitter machine. It is at yeah. John Santucci VIP. Yep. Uh, I get all these great uh, 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 text messages. Uh, yep, my card for the day for my clients. Right. Although gets my card, usually I just send it to him if I think it's a good card. 
He's man, Sunday's guy. card. I hope you played Sunday's card, man. It was like I, I didn't I think, get a chance to, man. Uh, I think it was eight and two that day. I was like, wow, something like that. Eight and four. Yeah, but I will yeah. be uh, this weekend if you send it to me again. Yeah, it's harder now, you know. I mean, the yeah, it's it's harder to pick one. But uh, uh, to my free plays, I'm on a streak winning my free plays now too. Nice. Yeah, uh, I, I gotta ask Cliff. Um, someone gave me a recommendation of a restaurant that sounds right up my alley. Although I love tapas and I love seafood. Yeah, and there's a place that's been there since 1907 called the Columbia Restaurant. Which mm. the wife and I are going to go to. I think it's in Sarasota. Mm-hmm. Wonder if, uh, yeah, Siesta Key, man. And Cliff says, get to Siesta Key. Got to get there early. Yeah, we'd find right. the parking spot early. It's always tough yeah. to do that when you got kids to be, be early anywhere. Uh, yeah. All right, everybody. Uh, it is time to pull the plug uh, for John Santucci, for uh, Dan Aguirre. For myself, Aldo Gandhi, and for everybody, thank you uh, a lot for being here live with us and interacting. It's so much fun to interact with you guys and get to know you guys better. And those of you listening on demand, try to join us here on a Tuesday night. And uh, is coming Gonzo to- in San Diego now? Who? Gonzo oh, yeah. move out. He That's moved right. out to he's San Diego, huh? He's now in border security. He's down uh, working at the border, beating people up. Wow. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, nice. And. Uh, Love don't the Mexican that, food in San Diego, uh, man. Week, uh, don't forget that next week it is uh, South Burbs Hitman, Monday at 8 p.m. Uh, tomorrow, we I don't think we have anything on the schedule tomorrow mm. other than that 2 o'clock uh, p.m. Central. It is Bar Down Hockey. Got to talk about all the trades that were made over the last few days. And then Crosstown Crosstalk is taking a week off on Thursday. Uh, and so we will have Draft on Tap on Thursday. So uh, we got some programming coming up and in, 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 um uh, Greg Gabriel and I will be together on Friday. Greg wants to do a show about everything leading up to the draft process. What teams oh, nice. are doing now in terms of building their boards, about talking to agents and so forth. It's going to be a, a master class on what uh, uh, front offices are doing throughout the NFL. So that should be fun. Yeah. It'll be fun. I, I've always wanted to to know about that part of the process, that side. Yeah, me you too. Know, so I'd definitely be tuning into that. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, tune in. Hopefully, you can tune in live. Fire away your questions and, and Greg. Is that uh, tomorrow or next week? Or that, that's this upcoming Friday, which is okay. Uh, woohoo! The twenty fifth. Man, the month right. is going by. Um, so that is it for tonight. Uh, thank you again for for being on the show, everybody, and we'll talk to you all very soon. Thank you for listening to Dan and Aldo Bear Their Souls. Make sure you subscribe to the Barroom Network and you give us a rating on iTunes. Until next week, my name is Nomke. Bear down. <laughs>